I mean, shouldn't we all get mad about girls trading together? He's fucking Canadian like that, and he just does not give a fuck. Ah, so welcome to the Irrelevant Podcast, episode 44, where we are talking about how we hate men competing with women and women competing with men. Well, uh, I don't know that we hate it. We hate the men that want to compete with women so that they can win because they can't beat other dudes. How? Just want to compete with dudes to get better. That's fine. I think I I lost all hope in humanity when people started the debate of like, yes, men should be able to that have transitioned should be able to compete with women. And I'm like, no, no, they shouldn't. Anyone who says that doesn't understand physiology and is a fucking idiot. Dude, did you see? Bottom line, do you know who Clay Travis is? Nope. Sports reporter. He's like a beat writer. He's got a lot of money. He also does like sports gambling and things. He nice. offered the. Uh, the Las Vegas women's team that just won it all. He's, he's basketball he put, team. Yeah, he put out a tweet that said, "I will take the class, the state champion of any boys team that I could possibly find and pick, and put them up against the WNBA champions, and the boys high school basketball team will win." And I'll put. I don't. I don't. Th- I don't believe that. But yeah, you don't think so. I played the varsity girls team in high school and they were still better than us. But think like, of, not think by of much, the, but they were better. You're talking about women who have played at the college level and now the professional level well, but, will dominate some high school kids. No, no, no. He's talking about a state championship high school basketball team at any level. Yeah. Like, so you take the, they, but those guys are going to college and playing at the highest level the in college. Professional too. girls will crush the high school kids just based on experience. What about that athleticism? Especially about? that Las Vegas Aces team. Those are, that's like an all star team of women. But what about athleticism? Just like doesn't matter. They're not. They're fucking pubescent boys. They haven't uh, even done anything yet. You're talking, about a, you're talking about a sport that doesn't lift, and a bunch of dudes who haven't even fucking hit puberty for the most part. Yeah, but they can. Already... You can take the college championship team. Oh, they run them out of the gym. Them. But the high school one, no. Yeah, but I'm some sorry, of those high school I boys, girls in high school, while we were freshmen and they were seniors on varsity, and they would still whoop our ass. Oh, that never happened to us. What? We had good girls. I don't know what to tell you. Uh. Our school is known for basketball. Well, I mean, we went to state championship game my freshman year, but I'm just saying, I think that those boys would win. I do. I think they would win. No, those chicks are ruthless. Those, some of those high school basketball players are ready to go to the NBA. No, they're not. We've seen it time and time again. They're not even close. What? They're not. Some of those 18 and 19 year old boys? Dude, they go to college for one year and go to the NBA and suck balls for five years. And then all of a sudden they're good. It's like. You fucking idiots should just stay in college or go to the G League. I don't know. I, he put a billion dollar bet on the line. I think they should do it. I think they should too, but I think those chicks would win. Oh, I don't know, man. Don't now, know. if you went the other way and you took a bunch of old washed up dudes to play those chicks, the old washed up dudes would crush them like that soccer match. Oh, I didn't see, that. see that. There was a soccer match? Oh, yeah. It was Wrexham FC. So, Ryan, uh, what the fucking, who's the pretty guy from uh, pretty guy. That all the chicks like? It's uh, Ryan Gosling? No, 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 no. The funny one. Van Wilder. Oh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, he owns a team with fucking Mac from yeah. mm-hmm. Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Don't they? And it's like a bunch of forty-year-old yeah. soccer players, and they played Team USA. Whooped them, and they won thirteen to one. <laughs> they fucking crushed them. Equal pay though. Equal pay. They those girls were talking so much shit before the match. Equal pay. And those do well. They actually make more. I know, you know because that? of that whole crap. Percentage-wise, they make way more than yeah. the dudes do. They just don't make more money because nobody watches women's soccer. Correct. It's all about the revenue streams, people. Quit getting mad about women not pulling these million-dollar salaries. Well, maybe the chicks should market their hotness more, and they'd have plenty of people watching. <laughs> well, those those the WNBA only exists because the NBA funnels money into it. That's it. 
Maybe, but I'm just telling you that angel girl that plays on the fucking aces and like all those shit, those are all like the <clears> starting five for the aces are like five of the best women who have ever played basketball. I don't think they're losing to high school kids. I don't know, man. I'm telling you, I played in high school. The fucking high school kids are idiots. Some of those freaking prep schools, man, that get these five-star athletes. I don't know. I think it'd be tough. I think it'd be closer than you think. Dude, I've seen three players in my lifetime make it from high school to a professional level and be worth it. Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant, and LeBron James. That's it. Everyone else has been fucking terrible. What about some of the one and duns though? They still suck. Name one that's awesome. One and duns? Uh Kevin yeah. Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony. I don't think Kevin Durant was a one and done. Yes, he was. Played one year at Texas. At Texas? Yep. Okay, so that's one. Mello is eh. What? Me- he's he a Hall of Famer. Eh, I wouldn't I would He's a Hall of Famer. Oh God. I wouldn't put him there. Get, get Khalil on the phone right now. Get him in here. Get him in here. <laughs> Look, he's one of the best scorers ever, but I wouldn't put him in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, let's see. Who else? Played for 95 fucking teams, dude. Why would, like, what did... Hey, Google. Give me a list of NBA players that were one-year college players. I'm kind of curious. I don't really like that know. That kid in uh, Minnesota is pretty good, but like he's still getting better. So, Anthony Edwards? Oh, like, well, Anthony Davis was a one-and-done. Sucks. He doesn't he's suck. Overrated. He's overrated. He's but the most fragi- fragile fucking player in the league, dude. He sucks. John Wall was a one-and-done. as good and as done. you can fucking stay. Also was awesome for a minute and not good anymore. Yeah. The one done thing fucked them all. Anthony Davis, to, Kevin Durant. Now with the NIL deal, Kyrie Irving. Stay in college and get better. Yeah, could have been better. <laughs> Dude, these are these are superstars, though. Come on. Derek Rose. Yeah, but you're I'm comparing them to Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, and LeBron James. Well, you're yeah, but three I'm, of the greatest fucking players ever. To say they've ne- they don't have success, though, that's different. Like Andrew the Wiggins. The majority of them suck balls. Andrew Wiggins is a bench player. Joel Embiid. Ke- I'm not sold on him Kevin yet. Love, Carl Anthony Towns. That's who you were talking about, I think. Chris Bosch? No, I was talking about Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards is way oh. better than Cat. I would agree with that. Kevin Durant, though, yeah. he. I didn't think Kevin Durant would be what he's been, but he's been pretty unreal. He's even kind of fucking lame for as good as he should be. Oh, yeah, I think he's a complete, like, uh, he's like a Kurt Tails kind of guy, obviously. His, his whole legacy will be... Yeah, he's not good enough to do it on his own. He could have been if he would have just stayed in Oklahoma City. No, he couldn't have because he had James Harden and Westbrook. That's why he couldn't have been. Well, but they were one game away from going to the finals and freaking got reverse swept. They'll Ugh. probably wouldn't. Have, they'll probably wouldn't have fucking won the finals. No, because they were playing against uh, LeBron's teams that year. So, did LeBron win it that? Just year? saying, man. Most of those kids would benefit to stay in college and ah, actually grow develop. into being a man. Yeah. and fucking then go play. What do you think about? Have you seen all the Zion Williams business that's been going on? I don't know what happened this time. There's he, another one, dude. That guy's a fucking freak. And then, yeah, now, like, well, he will five years later, and now he's playing. Well, yeah, because like, he won't. Doing? He won't stop eating. Well, I get it. He will not stop eating. I, I can, I can believe that. Apparently, they have said that they are done trying to convince him to <laughs> um, eat or stop. Marcus eating. Russell all over again, dude. Fucking idiot. No, it's the biggest could have been, should have been, would have been, but didn't. That's fair. This is why people have to generate good fucking habits before they ever get to be awesome. I had to change our view. Here's Sorry. a perfect example. Dumbass Zion Williamson gets paid all this money, gets treated like an all-star or a fucking superstar, and he doesn't have the habits to be that, so now he sucks. Yeah. 
never had to prove anything either. So, yeah, he's up to like almost 300 pounds. I saw. That's crazy. Like that dude's tumbling around out like a worse version of Shaq out there. Or do you remember Glenn Davis? Yeah. <laughs> the mini Shaq, big baby. God, dang. he was he was hilarious. He was fun to watch. What are some other sports that women cannot compete cannot compete with men in? On a physiological level, anything that involves the upper body, they're going to have half as much muscle mass. So that's right. going to be a huge disadvantage. I was, my women clients are always like, gosh, man, my upper body compared to my lower is so much weaker. And I remember reading in the Thomas Kerr's book what it was like women have 75% less capacity than men. Oh, it was 75 in this book is what it said. Oh, it's a two to one thing. We have twice as much cross-sectional musculature in our upper body. Yeah. And then like lower body. So the bigger cross-section, they're the same. They're no different. Oh, I thought lower body was like 30% or something like that. No, literally physiologically, literally just the upper body and then testosterone levels. Yeah. I'm sorry, Nathan. You're not pulling. You're not going to be ever stronger than Hunter Henderson. No. He'll fucking crush you every time. Yeah, no, not happening. So like we're not that different, but upper body wise, if you have half as much cross sections of muscles to latch onto each other, you're just not going to make that up ever. And our bone density is greater. The way our body is shaped is to be more athletic than mm-hmm. theirs. Even our connect- like having what about connective wide tissue, hips right? Does not help you with fucking. I don't think the connective tissue is any different. I thought it was. I thought it had more a training thing. I guess that would be a training thing. <laughs> I guess that'd be like, like what physiologically different. So is like literally the musculature mm-hmm. is less, mm-hmm. and but their bone shape is different that. in certain areas. Like their hips are shaped differently. They don't understand. It's gonna that. be harder for them to be as agile, I believe, with the wider hips. God, I love those interviews that people do for random people on the street. You think that women should be able to compete with men? <laughs> no. I get equality. That's fine. And it's not you know, equal, if you're though. on the playground, go ahead. But when there's millions of dollars at risk, or you're talking about, like, do you see the video of the guy who's a chick who was playing field hockey in New Jersey and broke that fucking girl's face with the ball? Uh-uh. No. Yeah, he hit it so fucking hard, the goalie's face is basically broken. Oh, my God. So. Yeah, that seems fair. Or like tennis when Serena Serena played that oh, guy that was like 290th in the world or on the men's circuit and beat the hell out of her. They've asked her before like about Andy Roddick. She's, She's like, like, he would crush me. She's like, I don't want to face that. It's completely different. I don't know how people return tennis ball serves, by the way. Those things are freaking moving. Practice. God. I'm just going to stand here and let this like, little... Same way you hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. No, but these are moving practice. like 140. Yeah, but it's also a bigger thing and, you know, just practice. It's just timing. God. I can't imagine standing there never seeing that before in your life. <laughs> like someone, well, of course, that's someone, not going to work. I know, but like someone's like, hey, I'll pay you X amount of dollars to stand here and let Andy Roddick just serve tennis balls at you for 30 I minutes. I would try it. How much would it take? Not very much. I would, I would try it for free just to see. <laughs> I just want to see if I could hit one. There's a guy on uh, YouTube that does uh, like Eric's, you know, Eric Sim, King of Juco. God, you got to follow more content creators, buddy. They'll show you how to make good content. I don't need to know how to make good content. I can make it if I want to. You know how fucking long it takes, though? (laughs) I don't have time for that shit. He's a baseball content creator, and they were, they brought these tennis players in to like serve balls off the mound while they were standing in at the plate, (laughs) going like 120. (laughs) Oh my God, it's hilarious. They're like, no yeah, way. I mean, over speed, right? You get used to those fucking 120 mile an hour fastballs. 100 miles feels like nothing. That's, yeah, I mean, that's a lot of the training philosophy in baseball. They, that's why these high, 
you know, velocity pitching machines exist now is because you got to practice like oh, you're going to see. They made machines to do it. That makes sense. Yeah, like I have one in my gym that'll throw at 100 any pitch, any speed you want to throw. So, have you tried to hit 100? I have. It's fun. Did you hit it? I ticked it. I ticked it. <laughs> ticked it. Yeah, I ticked it. You ever seen pitch warmers? <laughs> No, I don't watch baseball movies. Runners? I don't like fucking baseball that's, that's, at all. But it's it's the I mean, guy. Baseball is the dumbest fucking shit in the world. It's I'd David watch Spade. It's David Spade. Um, I know what it is. I just never watched it. You should watch it. Fuck. It's funny. I don't care about little it's league. Not about baseball. about baseball. It's, it's about the comedy of these nerds beating these dudes that are anyway. But yeah, yeah there's okay. a part every every nerd's dream that they're going to somehow beat the athlete. Well, they don't beat them in the end. Spoiler alert. Who would have thought? It's actually really funny because it's like, oh yeah, this would actually really happen, and they just get their ass kicked. <laughs> what was the other one? Bad News Bears. That's the one with the kids. Oh, right? that's hilarious. Burt Reynolds, dude, or Billy Bob Thornton. Oh my god, you have to. That's hilarious. Don't, don't care. He's out there don't chucking beers care. on the mound and just chucking you pitches know at him. The only baseball movie I might ever watch again is Major League. Solid one. Pretty good. God one. damn it, Vaughn. Manager gets so mad. We we wear sleeves in this league. What the son. fuck was the what's the African dude's name who fucking Serrano Pedro Serrano? Yeah, he's got the fucking <laughs> he's like got the whole like ritual you thing. Like, what the fuck are you doing? No, Mabos. You saying Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball, son? <laughs> oh God! Now, that... Golf movies. You got things like Caddyshack, which is great. Great. Tin Cup, hilarious. The Dalai Lama. No, 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 no. Ever seen Tin Cup? Yeah, when I was younger. Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore is a good one. Bagger Vance is a good one. I think I killed the Mista Mista lady. <laughs> oh, God. You know that Mista Mista lady? I think I just killed her. Fucking Ben Stiller such a dick in that you movie. You hit that guy. He shouldn't have been standing there. 400 fucking yards away. Hey, Chubbs, you remember that gator that got your hand? I got his head. <laughs> Also, I'm going to win it for Chubbs. No, uh I'm going to win it for Chubbs. No, I said it first. No one cares. I eat pieces of shit for you, like, for breakfast. Gross. <laughs> you eat pieces of shit for breakfast? Oh, God. Dude, that day, that movie is timeless. Adam Sandler's, Adam Sandler's 90s movies are timeless. Yeah, they're pretty good. Like, really, really good. Happy, happy. I haven't seen any of his Netflix ones, so I don't know if they're. Yeah, they're just not it. He's also the, the voice of a lizard now. New movie that came out. Animated I did. Movie. I did try to watch that. And Leo, it was actually kind of funny. I I fell asleep. I had some people watch it. They said the same thing. They're like, it's kind of funny, but they fell asleep. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. Yo, what's good? Brandon is not Brandon. Brandon? I don't know. Someone in the, the chat. Brandon? Somebody's who, watching. Alex this? says, who the hell is Brandon? Fuck, is that somebody on the Twitch chat? Yeah. Who is Brandon? Jesus. Some some dedicated viewers we have, dude. Every time we've had chats, every the, like the last four. Twitch really, what they say last time? You didn't chime in with any. Ah, uh, they're just saying hello and things like that. No questions, unfortunately. Hello, hello. maybe maybe because we gotta you know respond. Brandon, Brandon, who are you? You said you're me, but who is me? Who's Brandon? Where are you from, Brandon? Probably some twelve year old kid that's got nothing better to do but just troll the Twitch world. Yeah, what kind of information should we drop on him? Do we want to go about how Christmas is about mushrooms? Or oh God, you had the group, you had or... the group chat so scattered on that one. They were, they didn't even respond. They were so scattered on that one. <laughs> yeah, not high, Alex. Anyone, just so everyone knows, to the group chat or watches it was part of the group chat. I troll you guys on purpose because it's really fun, dude. They were so discombobulated. High when Alex is not high. 
his brain is not on a leash. So if it's not on a leash, you're just going to go down rabbit holes. You shouldn't, you probably don't know exist. The funny thing is all of them are like, I'm not high enough for this. And I go, the funny part is I'm, I'm not. <laughs> Brandon is from his house, by the way. He's not, he's not divulging. Nice, Brandon, his... how's your house today? Hey, how big is your house, Brandon? Who gives a fuck? You never know. He could be rich. Brandon, yeah, are you rich, Brandon? Money, then. Alex needs money. Brandon, are you in Boulder? If you're in Boulder. No, I hope not. It's like one house big. Oh my God. This kid is definitely 12 years old. He's trolling. <laughs> I mean, I don't blame him. I troll people all the time. Yeah. He's 19. Oh, I'm sorry, Brandon. You're just speaking in code. I'm confused. Well, th- welcome to the irrelevant podcast. How the fuck did you find this, Brandon? Yeah, Brandon, what are you doing? Brandon, what what are you doing finding We're us? We're only on here because we thought we had a guest, and I think the guest forgot about us. We so are at the bottom we'll, of the cellar we'll, uh, of the Twitch. I guess the health and fitness only has 252 viewers total right now in that category. So, I mean, he can be your guest. Be Who the fuck wants to watch Brandon, health and fitness? Brandon Brandon's the fill-in guest? Brandon said he, he's like, <laughs> I can be your guest. Brandon, <laughs> we'll send you the Zoom. Li- no, I'm just kidding. Don't you have to be 21 to use Zoom? No. 18? What? Do you have to be 18 to use Zoom? I don't think so. How would they use it for kids when they were in COVID if you had to be 18? I think their parents had to sign them up for it. I don't, really? I think. No I don't really remember. Brandon, you can mm. be our guest through chat. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, yeah, so that should be our new thing, right? We'll have guests via Twitch chat. No, you don't have to be any age. Okay. Well, don't you have to be 18 to be on Twitch? That is a fact, I, I think. I doubt it. No, I think it's... How do they verify any of this, dude? It's a fucking computer. You just enter whatever age you well, want. Well, yeah, it's just... Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm I was like the 39. porn sites back in the day. It's like, verify your age, and it's like, come on. Like, you don't think I could do some fucking math? What if they just search your IP address, and they're like, hmm, that's how they find those sons of bitches. Oh, I'm sure. That's how Facebook permanently banned me. Hmm. Create a new email address every time. Sorry, wah, you've been banned. Wah, Sorry, you've been banned. Wah. Sorry, you've been banned. Motherfucker. Like, literally, as soon as I got in. Oh. Brandon, what have you been doing as your 19-year-old self? What's your career aspirations, goals, life? You're just gonna Twitch strip. You're just gonna scroll through Twitch streams all day. Probably scared him off, Alex. We scared him. Shouldn't make fun of people, I guess. Oh, we were making fun of him. Were we making fun of him? I mean, a little bit. Oh, well, we said he was 12. My bad. He's a pro gamer? No way. What do you stream? That's pretty dope. You got a stream? You got what games do you play? Alex is into Age of Empires 3. That's his jam. Two. 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 My bad. Excuse me. Two. Don't want to get, get carried it, away. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> that thing you just play Valorant? Oh, okay. I never really got into Valorant. I did play League of Legends a lot. Same company. What is Valorant? Game. And what does it take to be a pro gamer? Does you sign up for something and say you're a pro? Is that like every other non-major uh, sport? I mean, yeah. They have like minor circuit leagues, amateur leagues, things like that. So, have you ever listen to Tony Hawk's documentary? He's like, yeah, I thought turning pro for skateboarding would be this big deal. And all I did was check a different box when I registered for the <laughs> yeah, event. I saw that. Did you ever hear how he got paid for this first? Um, the, like the, t- the pro skater things or the pro skater games. They just walked in and handed him like a $5 million check and said, okay, see you next year. And they gave him another $5 million check the next year. It was crazy. Self-entitled. Well, before video games were a big thing. Oh, he's self-entitled pro. So he thinks he's a pro. He's just not actually a pro. Valorant, do you remember the game um, CSGO? You ever remember that game? Counter-Strike? Yeah. I remember Counter-Strike. Valorant. Before it was called CS anything, it was called just Counter-Strike. And yeah. That was the, the, the land game for fucking land games. Yep. So they redid and it. 
middle school, we would go pay at a cafe and play mm-hmm. for an hour. Yep, it's fun. And then so Valorant is another company's version of that game, essentially. Nice. So it's a first-person shooter. Yeah, and it's really fucking hard. <laughs> Anybody ever want to have a great time laughing at someone? Let me get really high and play Call of Duty with you. It's fucking... Are you not a first-person shooter type? I am fucking terrible, bro. Really? I used to play with my buddies all the time, and I would get like a little Shocking. bit better. And I'd go on Battlefield. Love Battlefield, that game. I can fuck some shit up on. I went I think, 30 and 2 one time on that, and that was fucking... That was a good day. Battlefield 3? Did you play Battlefield 3? Yeah, I think it was, oh. no, it was Battlefield 2. I don't think I played 3. 3 was great. My brother and I But the fact that you can blow everything up, that game is way harder not to get killed in because someone hides behind a wall. You go, all right, I'm just going to blow the fucking wall up. Thanks. Brandon agrees with you. Bad Company 2 was was a W. Big win. He agrees. That was a good game. GTA 6, though, that's when my life is going to disappear. I have to have all my debt paid off by the time I get that. The trailer drops on this game, and this man instantly (laughs) sends it to me like, I'll see you never. I'm going to play this. Alex will no longer be a strength coach when that game comes out. When I was 21 and GTA 5 came out, all I did was look up shit at work about GTA 5. I would go out to the bar and think I was going to try to get laid and just think about GTA 5 and go home and play. You sound like I, me in my early 20s. It was 20s, literally yeah. my whole life. And that's when I realized I was an addict. I was like, wow, this is bad. Like, I'm researching what to do in this game while I'm at work for 40 hours a week. And then I'm playing every waking moment I can when I'm not at work. He said, should I do that? No, Brandon. No, you should not. Do not. It's I mean, if you want to be a professional gamer, probably. Yeah. Probably had to play a significant amount. But that's how I was I with just, COD Modern Warfare 3. I almost failed my first semester of college because of that stupid game. GTA 6, that shit looks so dope. And it's my, it's in Vice City. Like, let's go. Talk about bringing back good memories. Are they actually calling it Vice City? Or is yes. it? Yes. Oh, wow. Get to you play didn't it. watch the goddamn trailer, did you? I did, but there was so much going on. I didn't. Fucking they, gators and the fucking trashy people. The and, lady dancing on the top of oh, that car. Awesome. Yeah, all of it's going to be so good. And then the main character is just some big chick, hot chick. I was like, what the heck? I wish you could pick your character. That's the one thing I have a complain about that saints row did better than gta just make saints your own row let you pick your own character yeah play it into the story however you play it yeah like give us some couple storylines and fucking did you not play you No, know everyone's gonna play online do what did you not play red dead are you kidding me okay i was just it's like the <laughs> western version also of gta brought back the <laughs> yeah. same problem as gta i got all the hunting trophies all the fishing trophies i beat the whole fucking thing got my homestead with fucking Mars Marston, whatever the fuck his name is. That's awesome. Brandon would like to know what is your max bench press? Because that's the question that everyone always asks someone when they walk I into the gym. What can you bench? So yes, Alex, Brandon would like to moment, know. 315. That's in a competition or not? No, that's just touch and go in the gym. 315 touch and go. I don't know what mine is right now. Don't ask. I have no clue. Couldn't tell. Bench you. press is the gayest one though. It's the hardest one. It's the most technical, for sure. Right. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Alex is a... He's a strong lad. Not really. He said, on it, Brandon said, sheesh. Sheesh, man. You're strong. Mm, well, thanks, but I'll, I'll let you know when I feel like I've achieved a level of strength that's worth talking about. Brandon, so this guy right here, if you would like to get your weight up on the bench press, because you said that the bar is usually the heaviest he can go, is the bar. So... This guy Damn, is, Brandon, we need to get you in the gym. Yeah, this guy has a free training app, Al Gould Performance Training App, and you could yep. literally go in there and do free workouts made and by this guy right fuck. here and get really strong. And one day, if you keep working and dedicate yourself to it, I mean, for, for I a long time. Brandon, 
once upon a time. Yeah. It takes time. It takes time and effort. I was 20, but it seemed diff. We could get you to that 315. Man, I really dropped the ball on not confirming this guest. How sure. sick would that be, though, if a Twitch sure. streamer like DM'd you and was like, I've been using your program? <laughs> That'd be fucking cool. That'd be cool, man. Like, you're reaching a different audience. You just don't realize, but. Yeah. Well, that's what this podcast is for. It's supposed to reach somebody. What's it called? It's called the Al Ghul Performance. Here, I'll type it in the chat. Hey, tell me how to spell it, Alex, because I always mess it A-L up. A-L space G-H-U-L, like Raz Al Ghul uh-huh. Performance. And then training app. I'm just going to put that. You don't it, have to put that. It's just put it It's a Google big, see, the, if you look at the logo at the top of our stream right here, this Al Ghul Performance. Gold Tiger. Also, if you scroll down on the Twitch, there are links to his website that you can go and click on, and you can find his training app on the link. So just scroll down yeah. below on the Twitch stream there and you'll find our panels and you can click on get some new shirts tomorrow, Nathan. Hopefully they're good quality. Oh yeah. The new, the new merch coming in, huh? Printify dude. I made some really sick fucking comp shirts for powerlifting. And of course all the fucking sizes are out of stock at the moment. Rip. Goodbye. But they're going to be dope. Those for be cool. for you to wear just to the meets. I have a power lifter, but yes. Oh, okay. I was, that's why I was kind of curious if it was like your brand and your logo on your people, or if it was just like, hey, I'm going to yes. look dope as hell when I go to my powerlifting meet. Well, that too. But yeah, I made some for the CU kids as well. So it's got the CU logo on the front and the yeah. logos on the arms and back. Where are we at on that? What's the update on the, the Colorado team? Because it's not really a powerlifting team anymore. Well, it's still mostly powerlifters, though. That's fair. Can you what, make- what do you mean? What is the update? What how's you, it how's it going? How are the kids? How's your role got, as coach? I got one one kid I'm helping so far. One kid the you're helping? Just just like yeah, it's the girl I was training today. Maybe strong as fuck. I was about to I say, get her to eat. But you're supposed to be the coach of all these kids. What's happening? Uh so I am the coach that is at the gym when they come and use the gym, but they have to pay for coaching services. And you just got done telling me how a kid wouldn't pay thirty dollars a month for a gym membership. So $25 a month for coaching. What do you think that's going to come out? Like same thing, right? That's fair. So I got one person that wants my, you know, services, but the rest of them, they don't even know what's going on. They have it all figured out. Uh, They just don't know what they don't know. That's all. That's a good way to put it. You don't (laughs) know. You you don't know. If you don't don't know what you don't know. know. Like this girl even did equipped lifting in high school. And I thought she would be pretty well versed. And what's going on? And the other day is the first time she'd ever did rack pulse. So it's like a go-to. Block pulse like. before, but no rack pulse. Rack pulls just fucking destroy people. She's like, I'm so sore. They like suck. even today, she's like, I'm still sore. Oh, they suck. I hate them. So, well, you're not eating partially, is the issue? But yeah, they suck. You did rack pull two seventy five for five though. Pretty solid. That was her main work. Uh, that was after four by four at three fifteen on sumo. Whoa. She's going to be strong as shit. So why are you programming her like that? Are those just like back down sets or what are you trying to do? Fatigue fiber? What are you trying to do? What are you doing? So you do the main work, which is her normal sumo lift. Is this like fifth set protection? And then her accessory for her supplemental exercise is similar to that fifth set protocol. But right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was one thing I was going to ask Swede today about. Fifth set yeah. versus secondary versus like, what do you call it? Why, you know, what are you talking about? The secondary movements in his are MSMs. Right. But why do I guess he just called him that to 
Because they're mechanically similar movements. Not everyone understands that your supplemental should be close to what you're doing. For the sake of his methodology and to make it all more streamed, I guess. Because it's like, it's just a secondary lift, right? I mean, it's an auxiliary lift or a supplemental lift. Everyone calls it something different. So he just coined his own term and his have to be similar to what you're doing. Right. So like my rack pull for the sumo is not really an MSM. Kind of is, but not really. No. Not really. You'd be better off doing like a high block pull. You could do a sumo rack pull. Yeah, I have her do conventions. I like using both stances. Why like is the whole that? well-rounded idea? Yeah. Okay. Never mind. You answered. Me. <laughs> if it if you haven't realized, it's good to train tissue that you don't think that you should train. Like all you. Oh, for I, sure. Everybody always wants to be like post to your chain, post to your chain, post to your chain. Well, if you just keep well, if they're trading athletes it, and they don't do powerlifting, then I agree. Right, but if you are not and you're a powerlifter, you probably need to throw some quad work in there. And some, you know what powerlifters don't fucking need to do is SBD. That's what they don't fucking do. That is the biggest misconception out of all these idiots is that, and I will agree, you do have to practice squat, bench, and deadlift because you do need to practice your sport. But if I'm a football player, I'm not fucking getting in a car accident five days out of the week. Saving one day of that, and the other days are helping me so that I can recover from that car accident. Mm-hmm. Thus... Strength sports should be looked at in the same light, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Strongman also fucking stupid. Let's do all of our events on Saturday, guys. Like what? Let's do the heaviest, most strenuous things at all the on end one of the day? week. At the end of the yeah, week, what the fuck are we doing? Like, <laughs> why? Why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Whereas my protocols, they get to practice them all the time up until competition, so they get way more practice at the events, and the stress is spaced out far enough to where they don't seem to acquire injuries. You, so much so that I don't think I can program strongmen to not have. I don't think they can have less than two days off in between. Less than two days off, so that you're giving them two days off in between at the minimum every time. Yeah, yeah. they get hurt otherwise. Right, it's just too much volume for. Yes, yeah. That's you're talking about people that because they won't back it off with their sport. That's what you're saying. It's like training no, and their sport. Both of my strongmen, I've tried to use the regular nine day fist set protocol. They get hurt. Gotcha. Every time. That's because of the accumulation of fatigue and stress and volume from the sport work yeah, that they, they won't stop doing. Two days yeah. off in between. Well, <laughs> they're only doing one event each workout, though. They're not doing it like a normal strongman. Like, yeah. I literally took the fifth set thing and adapted it to strongman. So you have five days that you do instead of four. Mm-hmm. And each of those days is around an event. Right. So the main work is the event. So that's their skill work. I'll do that at like. And, well, I've been using brief maximal tension for some of it, which seems to work really well. And then their MSM is something that I think is a good supplemental movement. So, like, if it's stones, it might be a zercher squat, mm-hmm. something that's similar. Then they do their accessory work. But anytime I have them go, like, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, you hurt. Right. Is their accessory work pretty light? Like, you're just doing a lot yeah. of metabolic work all, for them? All accessory work for me is like that for the most part. Yeah. Unless they're closer to off season, then we'll do some metabolic hypertrophy, but doesn't really get out of that metabolic work. Not too often, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the body wants to be efficient, so it wants to metabolically get better and it wants to neurologically get better. So those adaptations are easy to come by. Hypertrophy, it doesn't want to do it all. Mm-mm. Gotta coax it into that. <laughs> No, you got to slam it into that. If you're really crushing it, you can gain 21 grams of tissue a day. That's a lot. Not. (laughs) I said that to someone the other day and they're like, that's it. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's if you're on drugs and crushing it. 
most people aren't crushing it on the food. Like part. newbie gains in a year, you can maybe get 10 pounds that first year. Second year is automatic five. And then after that, you'll be lucky to continue at five. That's what I had a baseball player ask me. He was like, Hey, what, what do I need to eat to gain 15 pounds? And I'm like, well, everything you fucking see. Here's, here's your macros. Good luck. And I sent it to him and he was like, Oh God. <laughs> it's like, yeah, have fun. <laughs> and you have to do the training to match that. So also good luck. I'm so behind on meals today. I forgot to buy granola yesterday, so I didn't get my yogurt in this morning. I forgot to get get it on my way home. I've had chicken three times today already. <laughs> I just had some chicken stir fry. I had it for like I had it at like ten o'clock. Calories. And I had it at, oh no, I just, just just twice, but I'm gonna eat it again. I had it at All right, I'm making it up with sushi dude. tonight. We're gonna fucking balls deep in the rolls. All the raw fish and rice you can eat. It's gonna be so good. Wrapped up into a kelp seed terrible. Garbage. No, it's a sushi. It's a regular roll. It's oh, not it's not a California roll. I don't. I don't. Well, no, I don't do the. Well, I don't. The seaweed rolls are like the old school, like traditional. Roll. I don't do that. I don't. I don't do. I get a little sashimi or nigiri if I want to. Yeah, that's which, that's not with the rice. Yeah, it's not too bad. That's doable for me. I just don't do the sushi thing. It's not my style. Sashimi and nigiri is like actual sushi, bro. What are you talking about? No, I'm saying I don't do any. Like I can't do any of it. What the fuck is wrong with you? It's just not it. It's not the move. Did you beat any whiter? I still like. No, that's some white girl stuff to be eating sushi. It's not at <laughs> yes, all. Yes, it is. That I pumpkin spice food. latte it's so is so fucking good. Like pumpkins. Chinese food, fucking Thai food, Japanese, Chinese food. Like, is... All of it's so good. Dude, yeah. Chinese Chinese food we have here is not real Chinese food. Though. Ours is probably not either. It's just some anything that's sweet is not no. real. Just some gross, misconstrued perception of what American it is. version, like Tex Mex. But it's great. I love like it. The girl I was training today, she lived in Mexico for 10 years and she's like, Yeah, they don't eat burritos down there. I'm like, What? How do they not eat burritos? Tamales. Yeah, well, it's corn tortillas, right? So they probably don't have as big a tortillas to make burritos. I like tamales. Tamales are pretty good. They're okay. I always feel like I'm let down. I don't think they're filling, but they taste good. They're okay. They're kind of bland. At least really? the ones I've had. Uh, yeah, they're all right. It's all about the sauce. Oh, see, I don't get them with sauce. That's where maybe I'm missing out. Throw the Tabasco like enchilada sauce or just Tabasco. Just huh? throw the Tabasco on there, which I don't love, but they Tabasco, do make the tamale really. good. Yeah, it's not my favorite. We ever. have this thing called green chili in Colorado, so that's what we put every on everything. Do it right. I don't do the spicy very often. It's not my thing. I had this have spicy green chili. You can have just plain green chili. It doesn't have to be spicy. Oh, Chipotle. I only have green chili there. No, they don't have it there. Literally, New Mexico and Colorado are the only two places, and we constantly argue about who's is better. Ah, so it's a border war. Got it. Kinda. Mm-hmm. Two different types of chilies, though. Really? Well, how are they different? Well, they because we are higher altitude, so they grow differently. Can you taste the difference? Chilies. Yeah, you can. Between Pueblo chilies and Hatch chilies? Most certainly, yes. <laughs> I couldn't, probably, but... Oh, I bet you could. Blind taste test? You think I could tell you who's is who's? Yeah, I think you could tell. There's oh, okay. There. Okay. I just, mm, nope. So good on breakfast burritos. Just smothered breakfast burritos and green chili. Uh, or, you sounds, know, some of them on the go have some green chili in them. Either way. Sounds decent. Fucking so good. Why can't people just get behind making a, a nice breakfast burrito? Like, check, just do a chicken and rice breakfast version. You know what I mean? Chicken and rice You and know eggs. how hard it is to roll burritos? Not that hard? What? If the, if the tortillas are not good, yeah, it's basically a death sentence. Eh. 
Load that block. Load that Get puppy some crusty up. mission tortillas that just fucking break apart. Yeah, there we go. Double wrap. You know what you need? You got to get the Guerrero tortillas. Those never heard of them. Fire. I bet they have. Do you have a Kroger? Yeah, we can find them. Go to Kroger and get the Guerrero tortillas, dude. They are fucking <laughs> so good. Why are they good? What, what makes? I have no fucking idea. They're just always soft and delicious. Like uh, their flour tortillas are second to none. Interesting. Like they're it's fucking fire. Mm. Fire. Mm. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm over here just crushing 3,600 calories a day on average. That's pretty cool. Just for minimal growth and torture. <laughs> for maybe three pounds of muscle in nine weeks. Maybe. That's, that's so unsatisfying. You're just like, God, really? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, it's kind of unsatisfying, I suppose. It is, uh, yeah. Uh, and I need to really remember to check on the guests from now on. This is the second I, time I've done this. It's... It happens, but I mean, it's, I know, but the, the day before I just like, Hey, you still good for, for podcast uh, and we'll get them on here next month. I'm sure. But like, I make, you make a commitment. You make a commitment. No, I get it. I'd forget if I was found out six weeks ago too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I guess this is just regularly scheduled program for us. So we're like, yeah, podcast, right. podcast at one thirty. Everyone's there. Yeah, we look forward to it. That's a different thing. Yeah. It's like, hey, probably okay. the coolest thing I've done this year is this thing. 44 episodes. 44 D. We almost did a year's worth of episodes in like three quarters of a year. Six months, give or take. When did the first episode? No, we come? started in April. Let's look. Yeah, I think we did. Let's look April at April 20th. Hey, Anthony's almost. episode is up over 100 views. Our first. Hey, yo. First one over 100 views on Spotify or listens. Or on Spotify. Yeah. Do those count the Apple listens too as the same thing or are they separate? I think it does. But yeah, no, the powerlifting clubs, you know, it's pretty cool. I try to help them. It's just, you know, they don't trust me yet, so they don't want to. I'm not doing nothing. Holy, Aram's got 105. Timeout. Nice. Here we go. Wow. That's isn't on the isn't first. It Aram? Don't you say it Aram? 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 I don't know. Aram? Aram? There's a game mode in the league that, or the game that I play. It's called Aram. So when I see his name, nice. I just think Aram. Nice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Anthony's is at 106 and his is at um, 105 now. Passed Ooh. all the chicks, huh? Just flew um, right by the him. Chicks are still still the top of the heap for for me. Man, dude, it goes Tiana, Val, and then Bird. We got a lot the of Bird Man flying any weather. <laughs> yeah, dude. Holy cow! They got 45 plays on December 9th. We got. 45 plays in one day on December 9th. That was cool. I just realized uh, Bird needs that as his theme song. Like, what happened to that boy? <laughs> like, making fucking freaks out there in Pennsylvania. That'd be, that'd be a good one. Dude, the number of distinct devices that streamed any episode for at least 60 seconds or downloaded an episode in the last seven days, 134. I hate the 60-second thing. Like, yeah. It's like, I barely paid attention to you. Like, who are the people that watch all of it? That's really what I want to know. I, I could probably find it, but I'm just not going to do it. Me? Because I can make a fucking a clip? God damn it. All right. Nothing worse than when I know a good clip happens in the middle and I have no idea how far in the episode it was, so I have to sit there and like skim and listen to all of it to find hey, it. Our viewership in Canada went up 3% because of the Kristen episode. Yeah, dude. She's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Shout out, Kristen. 
53% of users are on Spotify. 45.6% are on Apple Podcasts. Hey, I'll take it. That's so, cool. 93% of our listeners Apple are Podcast busy. users. I just don't use it. I subscribe to it. I should just put it on play all the time so we just get more views. Dang, dude. Like, everyone's episode got a nice little bump this week, it looks like. Holy cow. I've been... So, I haven't even posted anything about Brandon's. His already has more views than the last one we did by ourselves. So apparently the posting all the time to Instagram is doing something. Well, I need Ray, to post one of those right now. Ray's is up there. It's getting higher and higher. Well, yeah, Ray's was a good one. Ray's a dog. Shout out, Ray. Oh. We've made six. We might get an hour with Swede. An hour? Yeah. You just reply? Yeah. He's like, what time again? I was like, oh, we're on at the moment. <laughs> Whoops. I mean, I thought I gave him a time. I don't fuck. Your top episode was Yeah, twelve thirty mountain time. It's just way back there. Oh, he's in the mountains too? No. I just always use mountain time because that's my time, so then they have to do the math. Oh. You messed up. Just do Eastern time, everyone knows. I wonder if he never got my email because he's like, did you send me a link? I did, but works. Uh, all these Instagram reels. I'm sorry, people. I can't watch them all and reply to them. I'm sorry. I love you guys. I'm thank you for sending me Instagram reels, but I can't. When, when five people here's, are sending you 30 Instagram reels a day, I get flooded. With Instagram reels. I love them. They're hilarious, but I can't reply to all of them. I'm sorry. I love you all. Keep sending them to me. They do make me laugh. But I... So then just react to them. You don't have to respond. I do. That's what I do now. I just react. So that's that's enough. But then when I get flooded with yours too, it's just like my inbox on Instagram is just constantly full. <laughs> I wish mine was. I've always got mine knocked down. You got to make new friends, buddy. Whatever. You're gonna actually socialize tonight, though. Look out, world! The robot is I, being turned on. I've been socializing. <laughs> socialize with this person every day. So, hmm. Most of the day. Hmm. Well, actually, she's pretty good about not answering. Man, that's the life right there. Not a constant oh, check in her. Check in her. Well, she has kids to you know teach. Oh, nice. Oh, she's a teacher. Mm-hmm. Poor thing. What? Okay, okay. Does she teach? Sounds miserable. Second grade. Oh my god! Yeah, that sounds horrible. No, I mean the kids seem fine. It's just all the bureaucracy sounds absolutely horrible. Oh, it's terrible. That's part of why I got out. It's awful. What the fuck? I'm just gonna shoot this guy. Also, Arlie. Arlie's been subbing the last two days with kindergartners or elementary PE. He he had a kid have a meltdown. Start throwing hula hoops at kids and screaming and shouting because Arlie Teddy. He's like, I told him to cool cool off or settle down and he didn't do it so he got worse so they had to take him to the safe room i was like what the hell arlie he told some kid to cool off and it didn't get better yeah it's like hey you need to calm down or cool out and the kid just flipped his shit i guess way to go arlie you're a great teacher shout out arlie are you sure you want to go into the pe world i think i know why sweet never got my email I think I mistyped it. Oh my gosh. It's Alex's fault. It probably is. He's fired. 
podcast is a train wreck. Way to go. Fuck you, off, Nathan. If you were ever wondering if we were competent enough to do this, you just got your answer right there. We're not. Yeah. This is why I normally copy and paste things. <laughs> I clearly did not in this particular Unbelievable. Whatever. This will be the best hour of the podcast we've ever had. You better not fucking leave before 3.30 over there. I won't. I've got an hour left. That's all I've got. You're in the location, so I don't want any fucking excuses. Yeah. Well, And it's not even... I don't ever want to hear, like, I got people coming in. Because, you know, I did a podcast Saturday at a busy fucking gym. And you know what you couldn't hear? Any of it. Well, I'm That tell- was absolutely incredible. These people are dum-dums. They're high school kids. They just talk incredibly loud. Are we, should we start this over and have like a Heck 44 no. and a half? Heck no. We're rolling. Just listen to Swede. We're just rolling. Hey, what's up, man? Sorry about my retardedness, not being able to fucking type your email address correctly. So pretty sure I fucked this one up from the very beginning. Unbelievable. This guy. There he is. Man of the hour. Look at this guy. He's so dedicated. He's doing it in his car. What's up, man? What's up, man? Yo, can you hear me? Sorry, sorry, I suck and don't know how to type in your email address. Uh, that's all right, man. Hold on a minute. For some reason, it's coming through my car, and I'm trying to use my pods. Ah, uh, technology. Turn this off. How's that? Good? Sounds good. Yeah, how you been, man? Oh, I'm good. Yeah? For some reason, ah, now I see you. Okay, cool. Is this all right, or would you prefer yeah. that I... No, man, whatever works. We don't care. Okay. As you can if see, I, if I was better at my job yeah. and I confirmed with with you yesterday, none of this would be an issue. But I'm fucking retarded I, sometimes. So I knew, I knew it was today. That's the reason I brought my pods with me. But I thought okay. I would already be out at Starbucks. Luckily, no you caught me while I was making a stop. So cool. <laughs> didn't, How you it been, didn't buddy? really make any difference. I'm good. How are you, bro? Uh, you know, pretty good. I've competed twice since I last saw you, so that's cool. Thanks to you, I yeah. don't know if I would have done it without your uh, knowledge. So let's appreciate I, I, that. I, I saw you did uh, really well. At your meet, man. Congratulations on that. That's awesome. I'm yeah, trying to get man. this in a place here where the sun won't look too crazy, but no, oh, you're well. good, man. It's just showing off that beard, yes. all that hard work. Yeah, exactly. It looks <laughs> patience and dedication is what that means. Oh God. I got rid of mine. Screw that. Although oh, now yeah. now I'm really cold. Like I I told him I was like, Yeah, the beard's gone, but it's now I'm just really cold and I don't I don't know if I like it. I don't really enjoy it. Yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> I'm actually going to put it over here and do like this so I can sit back and relax and talk to you guys. There you go. Where is can, you, can, you, can you see me all right? Yep. Yes. All right, perfect. Good. That actually all filled right, up so, the screen. That's nice. Yeah. After, uh, after all that. So it looks like we can actually start talking now. Yeah. Well, yeah, man, do you want to tell people who you are for yeah. the, you know, probably two people that we have listening that might not know? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people don't know. Uh, my name is Swede Burns. I'm a, I'm a powerlifting coach. I uh, developed a methodology for training and competition in the sport of powerlifting. I work with athletes from various backgrounds. I started as a track coach and started competing in powerlifting in high school. I, uh, from there, I did bodybuilding for seven years, competed in bodybuilding, got to top national level in bodybuilding, actually finished 10th place as a super heavyweight in a national level bodybuilding contest at the MPC. Uh, before I finished that, that was last year. I did bodybuilding was 2004, so it's been a long time. And uh, since then, I've for you know for about 90 percent of that time, I returned to powerlifting. 
And uh, now I'm I'm not really competing anymore in powerlifting, mainly because of limitations in terms of I can't hold the bar on my back to squat because of I need a right shoulder replacement. I can actually still press, which is, you know, thank God for that because I love to press. And uh, I can do everything else I need to do, but it's just getting that arm behind my body on the right side is impossible. So I can't really compete in powerlifting at the moment. I've considered getting a full shoulder replacement, but... So that's the long and short of it. Uh, I'm also, there's a lot of other stuff about me, but those are the notable things that are relevant to uh, what we're talking about today. We just need you to start the fifth set federation where it's box squats with a safety bar, a fucking like camber, fucking American bar bench. And then, you know, some type of deadlift setup that's a little bit easier. That would be amazing. I would, yeah, like, uh, (laughs) like a trap bar deadlift. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, like, just get crazy numbers going, like just for old crippled people, just for everybody that can't do it anymore. Straps, straps for everyone. There you yeah, go. You, you could call it the OG powerlifting federation for all the people that fucking used to do it and still want to. Like me and Dave Tate could compete in there, and uh, <laughs> a, a handful of other guys that are still lifting heavy, but we can't. You know. Yeah, I did see you doing some box squats not that long ago. How are those feeling? They look good. Oh, they're fine. Yeah, they're good. They're good. I actually squatted 800 pounds with that safety squat bar over uh, co- over over COVID. <laughs> Jesus, so, man! I mean, you can get you can get strong just doing that stuff, you know. Uh, that it's you know it's not obviously it's not the same thing. It doesn't translate into a, into a back squat, but I think I think it's probably in the neighborhood if you took the time to do what's necessary to translate that for specificity you know it's definitely not the way i would tell people to train if they wanted to compete in powerlifting but you know for me it still allows me to do my regular training and stay you know real strong and healthy and uh that's what's important to me at this stage of the game you know? yeah you got the whole family thing going on how's that going Ah, oh, man it's a blessing i couldn't ask for more i mean maybe more kids i would definitely love to have some more kids we're working on that but uh it's wonderful. My daughter's uh, 18 months old. Yeah, wife's best thing that ever happened to me. So, nice. That's awesome, man. Congratulations, Nathan. Thank over here's got a six month old. I think. Is yeah. that right, Nathan? Yep, six month old. Uh, and I know what it feels like to uh, have your woman be the best thing that ever happened to you. Because before uh, that, you. no bueno, <laughs> no bueno before that. <laughs> yeah, I so that, man. Yeah, definitely got you, me. You and me both. Yeah, got me in the right track. That's for sure. Absolutely. Man, that's great. That's great to hear. You're young too, so if you can get it, if you can get it on track at early in the game, you're better off. You trying know, to. Be for me. Yeah, trying it took, to. It took until I was about forty to get my stuff together. So well, I can hopefully get it together by then. I don't know. I got times yeah. ticking. So yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you, man. <laughs> it's just the days start coming, they don't stop coming, right? Or whatever. Whatever that guy said. Sadly, he's dead now, huh? Bro? oh yeah that yeah. Guy, i learned that the other day a client told me the other day like yeah he passed away and i'm like no way i was like yeah they're like yeah he's he's gone i'm like wow okay r.i.p he's no longer an all-star actually from what i understand it's a pretty sad story I yeah think his, uh, i think his kid got uh cancer yeah and died at a young age and uh as a result he just became a lunatic alcoholic and drag himself to death yeah that's which what sucks you know i hate to see that but i mean like for the same token i mean i can understand that pain it's, that's rough that's something no to deal shit with. The, yeah. there, that would be a terrible way to go i feel like 
Oh yeah, man. God. Like yeah, I have a hard drink. time gorging myself on food. I couldn't imagine doing it with booze. Yeah, it just seems like a miserable way to go. I mean, mm-hmm. how many have gone have gone that way though? You know, it's it's, it's a shame, really. It's it's terrible, but you know, I don't know. Pray for them. I guess there's yeah. not much you can do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people suffer with addiction, and sometimes it takes them out. You know, I was gonna kind of various, various forms. I was gonna kind of yeah, ask you about that, Swede. Like, uh, have you? You said you're. I mean, you're you're a pretty big Christian now, I think. And I've kind of listened to you mm-hmm. on Dave's podcast. And um, did that? Is that something that you kind of found at a later age, or was it kind of your wife that kind of led you to that, or did you kind of were you a Christian early on in your life and then kind of fell out of favor with that and then kind of found your found it later on in life, or how did that come about for yourself? Man. Was, I- that's a that's a story in itself. So I'm I'm an Orthodox I'm an Orthodox Christian now at this point. Uh, I was you know raised a Christian. Uh, now I wouldn't say like we weren't like regular churchgoers or anything right. like that. But I mean I definitely believed in God and Christ and uh, professed that at a young age. But I just I struggled for a long time with what that meant. And um, I was involved. I had a really rough upbringing. You know, I was involved in crime when I was young. And I went to prison at a fairly young age. You know, I said I, I stopped competing in bodybuilding in 2004. That's because I was in prison. I was in a state prison for, you know, a few years. And I started to really lean on my faith in prison. And that's actually where I developed fist set. Yeah. That's where the earliest uh, incarnations of fist set were, were developed. And, uh, yeah, I started to study scripture and, you know, I realized that it was the most profound thing I'd ever read and I'd read a good amount of things. And uh, no matter how many times I read the scripture, I realized I never really could plumb the depths of the various interpretations. Like there was no limit to the amount of wisdom that could be extracted from anything, from even a single verse. You know? Right, Absolutely. So while I had like a, a cursory understanding of faith in God and even Christ, I didn't really understand what it meant until later in life. And uh, I'm still learning what it means. You know, uh, it's the sort of thing that you spend your whole life growing. And you might use the term sanctification as a process, you know, and I think that God did that for me, uh, you know, gradually throughout my life, you know, led me along and was patient and I'm grateful for that because I know I have not been an easy person uh, to, to, to work with. Uh, I was very off track when I started. and uh, I'd say I'm a little closer to being on track now, but I still have a ways to go. Oh yeah. You know, but yeah, yeah, yeah it's been a, pro- it's been a process along the way. I've been uh, <clears throat> learning and actually I was working on a book about a year and a half ago called, acts of faith which was going to be my first time throwing my hat into the uh, religious writing ring and in the process of that i went through various interpretations of stories within the scripture that were what i considered to be acts of faith and i started looking at things from you know what did various theologians think what did calvinists think about this particular story what did you know, uh, Catholics think about this particular story, what the various other, and I got to Orthodox Christians. I even looked at like what the, the, the Jewish 
yeah. interpretation was of certain stories that were Old Testament stories. And then I, you know, as I got into orthodoxy, I started to read some writings from various orthodox people and uh, even got into reading some of the church fathers, uh, what we call the Holy Father. And I realized that a lot of it was deep and it was an entirely different take on what all of scripture meant, you know? And as I started to come to terms with the fact that it was the oldest take, it was the original take. Right. Yeah. That these were, these, there's an unbroken line of secession from the apostles to the current bishops and patriarchs within the Orthodox church now. And so I was like, okay, there's something to this. I got to at least see it through. I had a little bit of, I had the normal American uh, reticence or hesitance because of there's this sort of like objection to like, is that, or is that Catholic, like Roman Catholic? Is that like, so there's this split there, whereas my father is a, is a Roman Catholic. And so I was very careful, very leery, like, oh, I don't know, I don't want to be, you know. And as I, I realized that it was similar in many ways, but also altogether different. And uh, so I, I met with, I started looking around, who could I actually have discussions with about this? Because it's one thing to read a book, and then it's something else to have a conversation and be able to ask questions and change, you know, oh, you know, sure. and, and push back on, on certain statements and so forth. And so I met a guy in my area who's in Western PA, who is actually an Orthodox priest. His name is Father Justin. And uh, I asked him, you know, would he be willing to talk to me? Because I asked a bunch of other people. Uh, I asked a rabbi if he would talk to me and he said no. He said he wasn't willing to talk to me. I was like, okay. Okay. So, <laughs> Moving on. No, fair enough. Wow. And uh, so I was like, are you willing to talk to me? I understand you're busy. And he was like, oh, absolutely. And so like, it was like, sure, come talk to me. Uh, I'll open the church up in the middle of the week, whatever day you want. So we, I was like, yeah, how about like Tuesday, two o'clock, you know? And I went and he opened the church up and we sat in there and talked. I was going to talk to him for, I had a list of things I wanted to go over with him for the book. I was like maybe 10 questions, but I was trying to get a legitimate Orthodox perspective and trying to like hammer down exactly what it was because Orthodox, unlike most other uh, denominations or sects, they, they don't have a written confession. They don't have like a, this is exactly what we believe. Right. Right. So it's not, there's not like a rigid uh, statement of faith. Sure something like like for example uh, reformed christians hold to like the westminster or something like that or various confessions so there was there was nothing like that I'm like well what do you believe and it's what well, we believe the nicene creed and like i'm like okay but that's just in my head i'm thinking the nicene creed is just it's like a few lines and it's basically about the trinity yeah and, and then i started to realize and i've come to realize in the, in the subsequent year and a half that it's everything it is the whole statement of faith it's just a matter of understanding what each line means <laughs> like that's that's all you need that's to old understand and, exactly and, what, right what, what, what the positioning is yeah i mean and it's the first real that's old school that's old school yeah, from, the, from, from the first council yeah, exactly I mean, so yeah like, you talk about like what books are in the bible like that's this is when we decided that you yeah know? yep uh, and uh, so he met with me and uh, we ended up talking to him the first time for like three, four hours. And then we developed a friendship. We started like hanging out, meeting up for coffee. And uh, I started eventually, I realized I was like, okay, this is the way. So I started to attend that church and uh, did the catechumenate stuff and became a catechumen with my wife and uh, my daughter. And 
that was how we found our way to orthodoxy. So, yeah, so it's been a long journey and many stops along the way, but I'm happy to say that I think we're, you know, where God wants us to be at this That's point. Cool. You know? That's cool. I yeah, love it. Yeah, I like, I like that. I like hearing that. Do you ever yeah. get the unconventional, like Christian, weird American looks like? If you ever walk into a place, you kind of get the looks and like the like, who's this guy? What is this guy? You know, like you get the whole like oh, yeah, Americanized yeah. version of Christianity and whatnot. Oh, it's different. Yeah, yeah, it's different. It's different. Yeah, like uh my wife wears like hair covering in church. You know, and, like that's like people. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that's what it says to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like believe in the same bible right like yeah so it is different yeah there is there's definitely some cultural differences absolutely it's more it's more of like a what, what you might refer to as like a middle eastern christianity or a greek christianity yeah yeah absolutely is, you know that's that's where it came from you know that's cool and uh so yeah yeah i mean i wouldn't say i'm uh i'm an expert on that but it's definitely something that it, it caused me to put the writing of that book on hold and hit the pause on that Great. I now, was like, wait a minute. I have a feeling that what I write, I might want to revise. Well, now, now that you've said it, I'm going to be anxious about it now. I'm excited. Are you going to ever, are you going to finish that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I fully intend, I fully intend to finish it. In fact, I, I, I would like to attend seminary and become an Orthodox priest. That's, oh, that's wow. the direction that I'm hoping to head from here. Heck yeah. <laughs> so, that's sweet, talk dude. About, talk about a difference in uh, the direction of my life. Yeah. I mean, that's, we'll see, you know, God willing, we'll see what happens with that, but that's what I want to do. That's and, cool, uh, man. Still some, still some hurdles for me to leave in order to, to make that happen. But that's, that would be the ideal. According to me, that would be the ideal course of events, but we'll see what, what God has to say about it. You know, that'll be, I mean, we're going to have a keyhole church somewhere. Is that what's happening here? I mean, I actually live, I actually live in a church. I don't know if you know that, but keyhole Bible is in a giant, is in a giant church. Oh, really? Uh, wow. Oh, that's fucking awesome. I did not know that. It, yeah, it, it's pretty cool. That's the reason I live where I live now. I'm from Philadelphia originally, and I was looking for, I had like a construction company at the time, and you know, I was looking for a way to, I was still, I mean, I was working with uh, football players and still doing the same thing, but I had, you know, a lot of irons in the fire just to make ends meet. It was very expensive to live where I lived in, in Philadelphia. And uh, I was like, man, I just want to sell all this and get a house someplace in the middle of nowhere. So around 2010, I started looking at places and I wanted a lot of square footage, you know. So I looked at the stuff I had the biggest square footage. A lot. At that time, a lot of churches were on sale. Like they were up for sale because people started to attend in their homes and church attendance sort of shrank right around that time. And uh, so I looked at a bunch of churches and I uh, looked at one in Unity Township out here at Methodist Church. And I was like, okay, I'll buy that from a house. And then I thought I could have like a, a gym in there also. You know, so it was big. And the realtor, after I looked at that one, I was going to make an offer on it. And the realtor's like, wait, there's just one more I want to show you. She's like, just look at it. I'm like, I looked at the listing. It looks like crap. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm not even really interested. She's like, just look at it. I'm like, okay, okay. So I look at it. We, we get there. And as soon as I got out, I was like, Gee, it was like a city block, the building. You know, it was enormous. I'm like, this is a giant building. I'm like, it didn't really look very nice outside. It definitely needed paint, you know, <laughs> like it was just old. And, uh, you know, kind of find out it was like it's over 9,000 square feet. So, I mean, it's a monster building. 
And uh, as soon as I walked in the front, it's like, what was the fellowship hall? And I was like, this is it. <laughs> so that's Kehoe Barbell now. Wow. And uh, yeah, so there's about 3,000 square feet that are in the front that's Kehoe Barbell. And then I have, we live in the back of the building around the side. There's, you know, another, there's like probably 3,500 in the back and then another 3,000 upstairs. So it's a big place. Uh, it's definitely a crazy place to heat in the winter, but oh, yeah, I overall, I just need that. I need space, you know, maybe that that's because of being in prison or who knows, but I'm somebody who like, to me, like the, the most valuable thing is having enough private space. So if it was land, that'd be great. But I look at this, it's like an indoor neighborhood, you know? So yeah, it's yeah, been, I mean, a, it's been a lot of work. <laughs> it's been a right. lot of work, dude. I, uh, I've been working on it for, I guess, 13 years now or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. and I uh, literally just finished getting the kitchen completely renovated, which is like a 600 square foot kitchen. So like, that's like some people's apartments, you know? like, <laughs> huge, yeah. so, it's like giant, you know, uh, so that was a lot. And then it's big ceilings too. So I have like basically on a ladder and I, luckily, you know, thank God I'm, you know, I'm inclined to do the construction type work. I was a union iron worker. And I did all that stuff before before you know moving out here so i have some experience in the in the trades and you know i didn't know how to use tools and everything so i've done all the the renovations myself and i mean there's still plenty to do but you know we're like creeping on 15 years into it so i made some progress (laughs) but yeah the whole story of keyhole barbell is because of that and like the team and everything else that the subsequent success of the team and which is what led to the the you know interest in the book and and so forth, and then all the clients I've been able to work with, all that stuff was that, that was the springboard for it was me buying that church. So yeah, so now it's not it's not a church, but it's still set up as a church upstairs. So I still have like pews and so forth up there, and you know that's cool. It's like uh, there's a stage. There's actually a giant pipe organ that was donated by Andrew Carnegie. Uh, yeah, so. You know, I'm gonna start looking for a church now because that sounds fucking awesome for a gym. Not gonna lie, dude. It's it's a, yeah, the Church of Iron. I mean, it's like yeah, Iron Temple here. That's fucking great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Were you still planning on doing thing. some of your seminars there and stuff? Oh, I do. Uh, I do short courses sometimes, and uh, I have a short course scheduled for February. I'm not sure what day in February. But it's in Louisiana at a place called uh, Warlord Barbell. Uh, so that's going to be the next start course. But I've been, you know, I've done a number of them now. I did I did one actually at Elite at PS. We did a, that was the first start course. And we've done a, a few more since then. Got another one coming up soon there. And I'll probably do more out of Keyhole. Plus, I, I always keep the option open on my website on fistset.black. There's like, you can go in and book a, a private cert course where I will certify people at Keyhole where I have all the stuff there too. There's like a little classroom in the gym. And so I'll do all the lectures and presentations and so forth and PowerPoint. And then there's the next day there's testing. And uh, so it's a multiple day thing. So you have to come out and stay in the area. But yeah, I do run them out and I've done... I've done two of those where they were just one-on-one with people coming like one at a time to mm. do the seminar. And Nathan, I always when do you say, want to go to Western Pennsylvania? Let's go. I'm in. Dude, say when, guys. I'd love to have you. 
And I have a running rule that if I'm running a cert course, anybody that's already certified is allowed to attend for free. Oh, so oh that's sweet. I've, yeah, so I've had people that have come to multiple, you know, cert courses just to get, you know, follow up. And and I do, I consider like when someone's certified using my method, like I don't take that lightly. I consider that to be like a, a lifetime mentorship. You know? Oh, wow. yeah. So I, I have I have people that I still talk to every day that were at the first cert, you know, that are always asking me follow-up questions and so forth. and. You know, and I have, I, I do also sell one of the other services I offer is canned programming to coaches where like, so different, like, so like, for example, I have a macro cycle called the silverback macro, which is more of like a power building approach. So it's slightly less volume and it's very uh, hypertrophy centric. So it's, uh, that, that's a pretty good deal too. So that's like, that'll be three, it's three uh, mesocycles of programming so that's like six months of programming mm. for the way we run things because they're typically two month meso cycles we do uh nine day micro cycles and six of them per meso and uh usually always the sixth is a deload unless you're moving into a peaking cycle yeah. so yeah, there's a whole explanation for all that i'd have to get the do, book you know, that I keep... get the book yeah people. you got the book get the, oh, book. the book was blurred out i'm gonna plug yeah, <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna plug your book for you because i've got it i was take the blur off yeah. the damn camera i'm trying i'm trying so hard the here there we it's go there it is. you got a minute so of it kind yeah, of. yeah i mean fit set go check it out yeah if you guys haven't yeah, checked out go so check if you it have out. that book then, then you know what i'm talking about yeah you'll see the fatigue chart and stuff that's the reasoning behind it and uh, that's also, coincidentally, that is the uh, book for the CERT course. So that is the, uh, like, we use that as a textbook. Yeah. So you get tested on a lot of stuff directly right out of that book. And, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I'll be, I'll be frank. That's really all you need to know to be a coach is in that book, like, to get started anyway, right? Yeah, absolutely. And from, from that, I mean, assuming you have, like, some modicum of intellect, you can, you can extract what, what's important from that what why do we do this like you understand why there's enough explanation of the hows and whys that you should be able to you know go on and write your own programming even even outside of the method if you're certified in the method that's what it's so, very applicable for all ages and you kind of talk about that in the book how like you want to be able to use this mm -hmm. as a way to help people gain strength at whatever age they're at and there's so many different protocols that you can pull from in that book yeah. to set up your own programming and i've kind of used it with my older clients i've used it with younger clients i've i mean everyone in between so it's it's definitely set up in a way that anybody can use it that's for sure something interesting uh to kind of riff on what you're just talking about there uh ellen stein i'm sure you've heard of ellen stein one of my longtime clients yeah she's 70 70 years old and still totals you know near 1100 pounds raw at 132 pounds body weight so she is <laughs> By any, definition, by any <laughs> definition, elite. She wins. She wins best lifter, not like for her weight class, for the whole meet at nearly everything oh, yeah. you do. Absolutely. She's won the she won the women's pro am. She's won uh, like the Arnold multiple times. Won the Arnold, like won the whole thing. It's it's you know for this is the, and she's competing against women that are literally less than half her age that are pros that have endorsement contracts and so forth. So I mean, and she's trashing them. So regarding her, she's been running the method now for over a decade. We got her DEXA scan back, uh, I think it was yesterday. And I'm looking it over, I'm reading it, and uh, it actually, she actually, at 70 years old, increased her bone mineral density. Wow. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's mind boggling. Keeps right? you young. Yeah. So the the way they do it is they have like a T and a Z, right? And like the T is average, like so that's the average of all people, young people. You know, what what the the score is, and then they have like the Z, which is for your age group, right? So she is actually uh, a half a standard deviation above what's average for normal young people in terms of her bone mineral density. <laughs> and she was like two and a half times above what it was for her age. Group. Oh my God. Damn. So anybody that tries to tell you that like old people shouldn't lift heavy. Oh no. Just walk away from that. Person. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know I mean? It's the best thing you can do for yourself. Yeah. Uh, as long as you can still do it, you should still do it. You know what I mean? That's yeah. kind of people like, Oh, well, what's ask me what my rule of thumb is for like when someone should stop lifting heavy. I, I say, are they able to lift heavy? Cause if they're able, then they should you know and like right. oh well how much should you reduce it how much can they do you know what i mean how much can you recover from as long as you're still absolutely i mean God willing, right making there. progress like somebody like her she's still making progress that's it's mind-boggling that's awesome but yeah it, it's crazy it, it's great to see it but i mean it's it is she's she's one in a million you know what I'm saying? it's incredible i'm not saying that's be, i'm not saying that's because of fist set that's because of uh, inconceivable uh, level of genetics i, I know, i'll say it's and, because uh, of fits that i've used it you, you understand the recovery protocol of it so it works really well it's, like it's, that's it's part built into it. it it's definitely yeah it's a big part of it no doubt about it like i mean if you're if you're training like like a lunatic you're not going to get very far if you drive it like you stole it you won't get very far you know what i mean <laughs> that's just a, that's like with anything in life right like a car like how many miles are you gonna get out of it it's like well it depends are you how are you gonna drive it number one and then like are you gonna do oil changes and all the other stuff and that's like deloads and you know the routine service the stuff you need that's very important but yeah i mean i i, I do think i think this that's a useful tool and I'm, I'm grateful that i was able to get that together you know before i was done you know, essentially. So not saying I'm done now, but I mean, I'm glad that I was, I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to get that out there to uh, a diverse group of people while, while I was, you know, while, while it would still be, you know, I could reach masses with it, you know, while I still had some popularity and I was young enough to, to get it out there. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people out there that know what they're doing that are good, that you'll just never hear from. Right, their local coaches, and you know what I mean. Yeah. They understand about recovery and limited recoverability, adaptability, things like the same stuff that I'm always harping on and preaching about. I'm not the only one that understands that, but you know, I, I'd like to think that it was valuable that I was able to systemize it in the way that I did with this. Uh, you know what I mean? That it's it's uh it's helpful in that way. It gives you some good guardrails so that you don't ruin yourself you know yeah it's very that's, that's my thinking though. it's very fail safe for sure like if you if you just use your brain a little bit and follow the protocols and adapt them to the populations you have like it's very 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 safe proof and fail proof like i yeah i mean yeah. if you've got kids that need a lot of different things if you've got older clients that need this or that and maybe yeah it's just it's very easy to plug and play and adapt it to to who you have for sure that's the thing. It's easily adaptable. Like, um, sheesh. Like, uh, there are so many uh, CERT courses and things like that out there. Like, even NSCA stuff. Like, not to knock it, it's great. But it's very, like, it's, it's very difficult to to go from just that to working with clients and understanding what they need. 
You know what I mean? Like there's like, I feel like there's a valley between those two things, any, any normal certification. So, but whereas if you learn to work with a specific methodology, that's my thinking is like the whole imitation thing in the beginning of the book when you talk about you know, imitation is that's the, that's an important part of it. Find something that works, right. That, you know, works, imitate it, use it with a ton of people. You start to see that's how you learn. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you're just like, Oh, the, here, here are some principles about training. You know, here's some, that's not, I mean, it's very hard to extrapolate from that. What, what you need to know to, to work with a, a diverse group or diverse uh, clientele. You know, it's just, it's tough. It's, it's a, uh, the translation is tough. The coaching but element, you just take the coaching element out of it almost. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing is if you have that, if you have a, a system, right, like, like this sets a system, right. You can run it the way it's written and you'll do good. Like you'll do, that's 90%. Right. And then you'll learn to fine tune. Right. And then over time, over rep with repetition, you start to recognize what it is about that that makes it really good. Like what, what it is that what, what, am, what am I when I adjust or what have you or when, you know, why do why do we have these deloads regularly? And you start to realize, like, well, none of these people are getting injured, you know, <laughs> like uh, you're, you're able to continually load volume right? Training volume load. You're able to continually increase that throughout the, throughout the course of a, a training year, you know, in a way that, you know, you might not be able to do otherwise, to be honest. I'm not like, I just, I don't see <clears throat> where there are some horror stories out there. I don't want to say anything bad about anybody <laughs> else, but like, I know, I know, I know of other people that, you know, have people that come to me and they tell me about what they've been through, you know? So I know there's people out there that are taking people's money, and they don't really have any general understanding or experience. You know what I mean? They don't, they, I mean, geez, God, like look at powerlifting as a great example, specifically the sport of powerlifting. You go to a powerlifting meet, uh, like a friend of mine who is a fist set lifter, a long time fist set lifter, who's a very well known guy. He's, so he's at this meet. And uh, you can always tell when someone's their first time coaching at a meet, you know. And there's a girl, and she goes and she takes her first attempt. And then he's got her running back to the to the warm up room after each attempt and like doing some squats. And so he's like, "Why are you doing that?" To the guy, you know, the older guy, he's like sixty or something. He's like, oh, "I like to keep her warm." And he's got like a clipboard, you know. And uh, <laughs> it, there's so much of that, you know. Sadly, because it's not like it's not a sport like wrestling, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's it's so there's there's a lot of people that get involved in it that just generally to put it bluntly they have no idea what they're doing you see guys like staring at the the flight list you know and they're gonna it says coach on the back of their t-shirt and like he's just like staring at it like it's <laughs> like it's cuneiform you know what i mean like it's a rubric like ah oh, what do, like what is it like and, yeah i mean like you shouldn't be coaching somebody if you've never done a power list there you go, go yeah saying, right Absolutely. I would say, like, if you haven't done a number of powerlifting meets, you probably shouldn't be coaching somebody. At least in power, I'm not saying you shouldn't be a coach, but I mean, if you're going to compete, if you're going to coach people that are competing in powerlifting, you should compete. You should right. have done it. You don't got to do great, but you have to know what you're doing. Get on you the platform. Know what's, ne- know what's next. Yeah. No, it's not a good idea to take somebody in the back and have them 
warm up, stay warm between <laughs> attempts. Like it's the opposite of what you should do, right? I mean, it's like, yeah. And sadly, there is no school for that. There is no school for powerlifting coaching. So that's that was the thinking with the SIR courses that I had. And also, I had a lot of people. The reason I did the SIR course, the reason I came out with this. Uh, third book the one that you held up the coaching manual is that there were people that were running they were saying they were running fists at it. i'm like that's not fists <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. it was kind of the second coming polluting. of the west side method it, exactly it was polluting the brand it was like dude like that's not you can't say just because you have people doing amrap i mean there's lots of methods there's a lot AMRAP. of amraps that's out not, there yeah yeah that's not fists at man like that's you know and yeah i don't know i don't yeah, that's I'll uh, I'll end the rant there as far as that goes. But, <laughs> yeah, there's definitely. Yeah, I'd like to think that you know it's a positive thing that, that someday when I'm when I'm gone, I can leave behind and hopefully it it continues to help people. You know, uh, it's helped me, helped my athletes. I say, I'm never going to stop using it. So I've definitely I don't use it to a T like the manual tells us, but I've definitely pick and chosen what I liked about it and definitely still no. use those things. Well, thank God for that. And that's, see, that's the thing. Like, you don't have to run it. You don't have to run the sequences. You know, that's just, that's one thing you can do. But if you understand the principles and the protocols and how they work together, you know, you understand why the guidelines are what they are, you know, that's, it's externally valid to everything in training. You know what I mean? Like, these are just training basics. And it's sort of a, uh, a Mr. Miyagi way of, of teaching you that, you know, sort of around the roundabout way of doing it, you know, like paint the fence, you know, mm-hmm. like karate kids. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, and like, I like that you used Vershansky as like one of your major people that you pull from, right? Like you're talking about the delayed training effect and different things like that. Yeah. And it's like, those are really important things that I don't think people really understand, especially when it comes to peaking, right? Like you can have an adaptation yeah. that you, elicit today and it doesn't show up for three weeks and people don't really grasp that whole concept whereas like your peaking block exactly shows that you do your last max effort and you know a couple weeks later you're on the platform because you've allowed your body to adapt and recover from it yeah Vershansky is my he's definitely if i if i had a single person that i could say that i uh from a professional standpoint look up to it was definitely him i learned the most from him and uh, I used to interact on his forum back in the day on his website, and uh, I've had some correspondence with his daughter, um, who's also a really good uh, sports scientist in her own right. Very minor, you know, just stuff like, oh, can I use this in the book, and things like that, you know. And uh, but yeah, I think that the long-term delay training effect is one of the most misunderstood things in sports science. And in fact, if you talk to a lot of people today, especially people that are interested in like more just hypertrophy and so forth, they don't, they don't understand it because they've never seen it. You know what I mean? So like you, you talk to someone who has never had experience where you actually do, they think of things like fatigue as, as a short-term thing, central fatigue, you know, and even sports scientists, even like people that you would names that you would know that I've had conversations with them and they, they talk about, well, Central fatigue doesn't last more than a week. Like, and, and I'm like, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe they get 30% stronger in a week then. I don't know. Like, uh, it's, maybe training becomes much more effective towards the end. But, uh, but that, like, expressible strength is absolutely inhibited. Expressible uh, markers for fitness in any 
character, any characteristic of fitness, be it speed, strength, what have you, are all suppressed by fatigue. And that is a long-term effect. That can be, if, if the fatigue is loaded for long enough, I mean, or sufficiently enough, it can be something that lasts a number of weeks. So to think that it only lasts a week is silly. Uh, I found that, you know, over years and years of experimenting with this decade at this point, that the longer you can draw out that loading, that period of loading, which is the reason that we rather, rather than just do one really hard mesocycle and peak, we do a series of subsequent mesocycles where intense, where the fatigue is gradually accumulated. The longer you can accumulate that fatigue and carry it, the, the more of a slingshot you get. So whereas Berkashansky found with his early experiments that if he did it really hard, the further he pushed them, the more of a, the more of a rebound they got, right? When once they were able to express their their level of fitness, right? So, but the problem is that Vershensky had a ton of injuries, you know, and he reports that in his own stuff is that people were getting wrecked, you know. And uh, so this was a, this was my thinking first to make it more specific to powerlifting, but then also to reduce the likelihood of injury because we can't. It's not really acceptable to have you know, 40% of your people get injured in power. As a coach, you're going to lose your clients if 40% of them are injured. And uh, it's, I don't think it's necessary. So it turns out it's not necessary. And we can go as long as uh, between six and eight months of carrying that fatigue to some degree or other. Obviously, there has to be those deloads. And the deloads, basically, the, the main benefit of the deloads is that they help with the... There's a... So there's disparity in recovery between like connective tissue and muscle tissue, okay? Uh, whereas muscle tissue recovers very quickly, week to week, you know, you, and and adapts very quickly. Connective tissue does not. So tendons take a lot longer. And the reason we think for that is blood flow. You know, there's less blood flow to tendons. But we don't know that for sure, of course. So we could, you know, in 10 years, we might find out that it's something totally different that causes that. But that's that's what that's the standing theory. And that's the one that I tend to ascribe to. Um, but the deloads allow so they allow that the tendons to catch up so that you don't end up with connective tissue injuries. They also they reduce fatigue slightly, as you can see on those charts. Those are theoretical charts, the stuff in the book. But that's the idea is that they are reducing it a little bit. We know they're not reducing it all the way. Otherwise, you could just do, you wouldn't, you'd be able to express your level of fitness at any point just by doing a deload, right? But you can't. It takes a full taper from a peak. It takes that reducing the amount of work that you're doing dramatically for an extended period of time. And then also doing enough specific work to preserve the adaptations that you worked for all that time too. So... Yeah, I'm always very open to, to new things and, and new explanations for things. But what I'm not open to is pretending that the things that I've witnessed myself and recorded myself didn't actually happen or don't exist. And there's a lot of a lot of people out there that will offer things to the contrary. And I'm like, well, I mean, I know this works. You can't you can say what you want, but you can't say it doesn't work. It certainly works, you know. But it's uh, only anecdotal evidence, man. What are you talking about? Well, it's, it's not. That's the <laughs> I thing. Know. I know. I just I've fucking, got, that's the only thing I've you hear, right? I've got better controls than most labs. Right, you know what right. I mean? And, right. and a hundred times the data. Right. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not, there aren't just anecdotes, but you know, I mean, science is essentially the scientific method is just uh, constantly attempting to falsify 
hypotheses, right? So, I mean, I'm open to that, uh, to the, to those attempts, but you have to actually falsify it. You can't, you can't falsify something that's very well proven. You know? Right. So whether or not it works is not up to debate. We can talk all day about how it works. And I'm open to those conversations. But when people pretend like, oh, no, that's not the way to train. I'm like, okay, well, you've lost me. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> unless you got something better that you can support with data, because it's not likely. Yeah, those peaking cycles, man. That first one I did at the competition, I was fucking dumbfounded. I was crushing weights I'd never even touched before. And I'm like, how the fuck did this happen? And then the I've attempt, done it with... The attempt selection protocol is a big part of that, too. So yeah. not doing over 7% jumps. Um, yeah. uh, we found early on that doing larger jumps than 7% is just a no-go. You know, And I started to... I was like, man, we're missing attempts. This was We're talking 12 or so years. It made more than that even years ago. And I, so I did a, a multi-regression equation where we looked at where, when people started to fail. And we were able to determine that anything over 8% was like almost definitely a failure, even with lifts that they had previously hit, like recently, like in the last 30 days. So stuff that hit in the peaking cycle, people were missing it if they made 8% or more jumps. So I'm like, well, let's try with the sevens. We did the sevens and uh, the 90-97-104 was like, whew, immediately I was hitting like 85% plus of people were successfully getting all three. There was a deviation on bench, but we were able to correct that. You know, subsequently, I think it took three years. After the first book came out, it took two years more. And I was like, we changed. We, first, we tried up to 103. And then I found out that 1025 for the third percent for the third uh, attempt on, on bench press was probably the, the upper limit. And so like, that's not to say that no one could ever under any circumstances do more. Of course they can. And people did 104 for years, but I, I find that that corrected that deviation so that it, it brought it up to match the success rate of the data from the squats. So yeah, between if you're using that peak and cycle correctly and you're using that attempt selection protocol correctly based on the data from the peaking cycle, that's another thing is that people base their attempts and meets on like their hopes and dreams rather than or like wow like on a perfect day you know like god could crack the sky open and reach down and maybe i get this uh that's not the way to plan for a competition it's not the way to successfully execute a competition so having that relevant data having that recent peaking cycle data is crucial and uh yeah being able to draw from that and using the formula the coefficient formula the multiplication that we have to, to set your attempts up is just invaluable. Now, I think attempts one and two should at least 90% of the time go according to plan. And then you should be able to draw your third attempt. I give like clients that I'm not going to be able to meet with them. I give them a range for the third and I say, Hey, you know, let's, let's shoot for, you know, we'll say depending on bar speed of the second, it'll be between this and this, you know, probably between a heart and two or a heart and four. That's the same thing I did. I'll give them a range on the last one. I'll be like, you're going to do this one, this one, and then it's up to this on the third one, depending on how you feel. That's the way to do it. That's definitely the way, to, in my opinion, that's the way to do it. Uh, you know, and that's the sort of thing you got to kind of working with clients. Everyone's going to develop their own preferences, and we tend to stick with the things that have worked. So I, that's why I'm always like, just try this. Just try this. Because I know that if people try it and it works, they're going to stick with it. Yeah, like, man, that peaking cycle works so good. It worked for my rugby player to where he got named the starter of the team and then the captain of the year and most improved player of the year 
because we just oh, went so through like one of the mezzo cycles and a peaking cycle in his off season. And then I just did very minimal in season to help him keep his strength. And I had him test again after the season, the motherfucker got stronger. Yeah. <laughs> like... You don't, you won't lose. You can do, you can do very little volume and not lose. And in fact, I covered some of that in the book where I talk about the different age ranges and studies that were done on reducing the volume where they had, they have one of them where they reduced the volume by 70%. And they didn't get any weaker, and some of them got stronger. <laughs> like so, what does that tell you? That means the in-season players can still lift as long as it's much less than what they do in the off-season. You know, yeah. I had I've had first-team All-American, uh, National Collegiate Player of the Year. I had everything you can imagine in terms of athletes running a fifth set, you know, and, and performing phenomenally in their given sport. You know, it's not just powerlifting. It's not just for powerlifting. And uh, at one point, I had this like harebrained idea. I was going to do like fist set for football and for different sports, and so fist set for track, you know, fist set for jumpers. And uh, I realized it's not necessary. <laughs> it would just be it's, it's not it's not necessary. Right. One fist set. Right. <laughs> it's, that's what it is. Wait, Basically, you mean it doesn't have to be sports specific? I could sell that book, and then I could just say like, "Well, have them do have them do sports specific work also." There you go. Yep. That's it. That's a it's a page. You know. That's Depp. Depp kind of falls into that category. He's like, "I'm just going to do Westside, make him strong, and make make it no. I know it works, and then their skill works over here, and they can do that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy how that works. (laughs) Yeah, if you know how to, dude, Westside can be very valuable if you know how to mod if you know how to modulate recovery. Yep. And that's a big if. Like, I'm not saying that, like, it's no big deal. I don't want to just make it seem like I'm saying, oh, you have to be able to modulate that recovery because it's very easy to overdo it with the 90-plus percent training and, and you know, going going heavy singles and so forth all the time. So now if you're using, like, a repetition effort method, like actually someone who has actually, you know, worked with Louie or read the book or something, that's a different story. Like where you understand there's more to it than just doing two singles over 90 and calling it a day. Uh, <laughs> so if someone that knows how to run it correctly, yeah, I mean, you can do really good with it. I've seen great success with that. So. That's what I think is nice about your coaching manual. It's like bowling with bumpers. Like you have to be fucking mm-hmm. retarded and throw the ball in the other lane for it to not work. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Like I think you're better off going with something where you have a little bit of safety. You have some guardrails. Yeah, you need those yeah. right and left boundaries. Otherwise, you have no idea. And like yours works so good is like it's literally people want to make sport training into something special. It's like, no, you got to get strong first. And then you can yeah. maybe worry about some other stuff, but you got to get strong. By far, by far <laughs> the most important thing is being strong, I think, in any sport. Right. <laughs> and uh, so I looked at there was some there was a number of studies that, for uh, regarding aging where they looked at uh, like various parameters to see what would help people in terms of health span and lifespan. And what it turned out was that it wasn't just having muscle. Having muscle was important, but strength actually had the biggest impact on health span and lifespan. So, I mean, that's, I mean, and there's weird metrics for strength that they're looking at, like grip strength and so forth. Yeah, I was going to say, that, that, that grip strength study was a big one, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, exactly. So, like, grip, but grip is, I think grip is a Huge. good generalized strength. It's a good way well, to generalize someone's strength. It tells you Unless so much about the nervous freak. system, too. Exactly. Unless they're doing, it's a good way to measure fatigue. So it's, unless yep. they're doing some kind of free uh, grip training with some, you know, there are some guys out there that could do stuff that just blow your mind with grip and they're not that strong everywhere else. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh grip is a good marker. So it's a good general, it's a good way to generalize for strength. So people that have really strong grip, 
generally are, are really strong people, you know. And like you said, there is a there's a, a nervous system aspect to it. Like so, it's not just uh, building up the muscles in your hand. It's a neuromuscular component. Yeah, that's a neurological component. That's a biomarker I use for my throwers. Like if they want to come in and like a pitcher, if they want to pitch a like if we want to throw them a certain intensity that day. Like hey, you know, you're throwing all out today, but I want you to go do your grip strength test before you do it because if they're not at a state of readiness to go throw all out, then we don't need to throw all out because it's going to lead to bad things down the road. Mm. So yeah, I use that. Mm. I use the grip strength one a lot, actually, in a lot of things. I, I, I think it's useful. I think also it can be overused too. And uh, there's also one of the things that's dangerous about it is you can still be carrying a ton of central fatigue and still perform well in grip. So it's sure. not like, it, it's not like a, a real test. It's not like you, there's no blood test. <laughs> to say how much central how much is your you know how much are you inhibited at this point, right right there's, sadly there's no real way to test it other than to test it right and we don't want to test it because that's <laughs> going to cause more fatigue yeah. so <laughs> you know what i mean so it's better to work with some sort of model like a, a good model that generalizes and and get, works with averages and so forth and if you know you're working with a certain population that has higher recoverability adaptability so for example d1 athletes generally speaking are going to have higher recoverability adaptability then you can you can adjust up or down you know depending where you're at and in the, what what that population is that you're working with well that i like the nine day micro cycle for kids to be in high school kids because oh, yeah. i have a lot of high school kids that they don't eat well they don't sleep well they're stressed yeah. out all the time about school and it's like okay well now let's look at this from a nine day perspective then so we can manage your fatigue and help you recover a little bit better and that's one of the biggest things I took away from that is the nine day instead of the seven day micro cycle and kind of extending it kids out. Are just amazing. Kids are amazing in the way that they can recover without like sleeping or eating or doing psychos <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Right. Right. It just becomes so important later in life. But when you're young, it's like you can get away with it. And, uh, but yeah, that you do got to make up for it. You do got to make up for it. And I think that a nine day micro cycle is a good rule of thumb, honestly, for everybody. There's uh, people that have higher and lower recoverability thresholds that I've worked with, you know, th- throughout the years. And um, see, well, I'll start by saying that anyone who's at a top level, right, is going to yeah. have a long, have a longer recovery time period. They just Absolutely. have to. Yeah. I mean, like, so, like, when so I'll give you an example, like someone like uh, Amit Sapir, I worked with him. We were like, at one point, we were trying to get this. I think it was his fifth squat world record, but it was that hold four at one time in different weight classes and uh fatigue became so bad he was so inhibited like he was inhibited for like weeks and weeks on end like where he would just shake when he get out of the bar <laughs> it was just too much he had pushed too far for too long and uh, we got him to where he was doing 10 day 10 days between each squat and then he was able to successfully, like we ran a full macro cycle of that and peaked and then he was able to successfully get that that last record that he needed to right to ha- to hang everything up but it was a matter of even and i know a number of people i know eddie hall same thing 10 days uh between those deadlifts you know so people i think that's but now that's not to say that like you know if you're a beginner or that if you're someone with high recoverability that you should only train every five days or six days or something like that I'm not saying don't train. Right. I'm saying that you need for a mi- for a microcycle needs to be longer before you. In other words, what that means is that same session within this long ter- this plan 
before you hit that session again, you should not only be recovered, but adapted. Exactly. If you're not, yeah, if you don't have that adaptation, if you're still recovering, when you go to hit that again, there's no chance that you're going to have that adaptation. You know what I mean? Yep. So, and that's not, that's not even accounting for essential fatigue, which will be accumulated. That's definitely going to happen. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to, uh, the more you can, the more you can simplify this as these aspects, the things I'm talking about, these considerations, the more you're going to be able to actually coach. You know what I mean? The more you're going to actually be able to do your job as a coach. So, Like pro- programming is not coached. Like we're talking about a methodology that's mostly programming. The coaching is m- being able to have the wherewithal, make that decision, say, "Hey, okay, this is what it's time to pull back on this, or it's time to not, man. You gotta just grind through that, you know." Or yeah. technique and, and knowing how to correct technique and so forth. That's all these things are invaluable from day to day uh, too. Have, yeah. Like yeah, you, you can those, write a program have, down, but if it's if it needs to be adapted within the even the day to day realm, that's such a huge thing to be able to do. It's like, yeah, I wrote this yeah. out for however many days, you know, four microcycles or whatever. But we're at our second microcycle, and they're just dog tired, or they're, something's not working. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. got to be able to make it changes on the fly from day to day too. That's a lesson for you too, the coach too, because you know if you get two micros into something and, and you're not getting the results you wanted. Or things are going off the rails wildly. That's quickly. Yeah. So that means there's something wrong with the way you set that up. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like ideally the fist set stuff, if you're if you're setting it up correctly, we really should never have to worry about that within the confines of at least one mesocycle, assuming that the training matches are set correctly and so forth. You know, you can focus on things like tech correction. You can focus on things like, you know, coaching, motivation, you know, things like whatever it is, you know, whatever the role of that coach of, of a coach is, sure. you know? Yeah. I mean, like, it's funny, but I have a, a nice number of coaches out there, like throughout the United States that are using the method. So they're all doing very similar programming, Right. And you think like, well, when the client gets the programming then like they're going to run away or something like they're going to split with it. That seems to be the, like with, coaches that i talk to from a business standpoint they're like well i like to titrate the programming like they only give them a little bit at a time and the thinking is that they're going to like take the program and run and leave with it but it's like that's not your value that's a book right you know what i mean your value is teaching them how to run it teaching them what to do teach them the adjustments to make teaching them how to make tech corrections how to implement you know whatever various things like the queuing system and so forth like that that's really the role of a coach, not just programming. Programming is part of it, but it's not all of it, you know? Yep. Larger role, larger role, bigger yeah. picture for sure. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot to it. It's, 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 there's many facets to this coaching thing. So how did you, you said you, how did you start thinking about the fifth set principles? Like I know you hadn't put it in a book obviously, but you said you started thinking about it very early on and then, like you just have a lot of time to, th- I mean, how did that come about? Or like, were you thinking about your previous training and how you could make it better and adapt it and mold it to something else? Or how did fifth set come about? And like, what did you start really fine tuning right, it to the so, level? Uh, I was in prison. Hold on a minute here. I'm going to have to adjust this because now I got Sun's getting you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's starting to get me. I don't know. Find a way to get away from it here. Oh, that's so annoying. It's know what it is. It's like my mirror, the side. Yeah. Is 
There's a there's a way I can do this. Hold up. There is. So there we go. (laughs) Just take it away, yeah. Yeah, I just turned it in. You know what I mean? It was literally like the sun was shining right on my side view mirror into my eyeball. (laughs) So the way the way things started was just that simply enough, I was in prison, and uh, it was out of necessity. Right. So we had. uh, I mean, I knew all about like obviously I had already read about Verkhovsky and various other Russian sports scientists, and I knew about Prolethin and so forth. And I knew that there was a way that you could effectively train with less weight than what your max was, you know, for strength. You know, I knew that I could basically set up what was our goal of what did we have to hit, how many reps did we have to hit with a certain percentage, you know what I mean, in order to make progress. I knew about prolethin. And I built it, honestly, I built it around prolethin. I thought that it would keep going like that forever. You know, I thought like, hey, maybe I just could do one mesocycle at first and it would just keep working. Now, we're, we're going way back now. We're going like 20 years ago. Sure. Um, so the idea was we do four sets. Every, pretty much everything was doubles at that point. So it was like four sets of doubles. And then the fifth one, we just do as many as you could get. And we would keep doing that. We would repeat that. And uh, I realized after a certain point, because we the reason was we couldn't, there wasn't enough weight in the yard. You could only go up to like, say, 600 pounds or something like that. So it wasn't enough. Only. He says only, Alex. Only. A lot of, <laughs> dude, you'd be surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be surprised in a state prison. There's some strong dudes. Wow. You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> these are like, you know, you got to keep in mind, these are like young men that are like in their early 20s and people that are you know, violent criminals tend to be full of testosterone. Sure. You know what I mean? So, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like the ultimate, you know, sample for to test this out. So I, at the time, I was like 300 pounds and in shape, you know what I mean? I was like giant. And so people looked to me and I had answers, you know. So it was, I was able to easily lead a training group because anybody that's confident and has answers, you know, people will tend to listen. So I, I did. And, I had a group of a good number of guys, different times. I might've been 10 guys or whatever, you know, but some of them weren't always die hard. And, uh, there's one guy, Jaime, he was super strong. I remember, I still remember him making so much progress, like to the point where towards the end, like he looked like a bodybuilder, you know, he looked like a pro bodybuilder, you know, <laughs> this is in jail. So like nobody's on steroids as much <laughs> You're living on dog on dog food, you know. Uh, so it was it was just genetics and training, and uh, so yeah. So we we tried it out like that. We did it for an extended period of time. You could do more weight than that, but you had to put in a slip, and you would go to like there was like a like I think it was called the ISB, like the Inmate Service Building, and it was an inside gym in there where you could do like there was like a real gym. You know what I mean? There was like uh, real benches, real squat racks, real plates, like an actual gym, like mm-hmm. enough of them. It wasn't like stuff that was like trash that was welded back together and stuff like we were training with most of the time. <laughs> so the idea was we'd do it for long enough and then we would do a deload and then just try to do like maxes and see who could do more. 
So the first bunch of times we did this, you know, a few months at a time, everybody made progress. Everybody was stronger, you know. And uh, then there reached a point where people were starting to be able to do less. And I, that was when we developed. And from there, it would basically, it was off to the races from there. I started reading more, and studying more, and that's where the long-term delay training effect came into it. Uh, the macro cycle model that we use now, which involves a, a series of successive uh, mesocycles surmounted by a peaking cycle, that all came from Rokoshansky. Not that he was doing anything like that or programming for powerlifting, but that all came from what I, what his work was as I understood it. So like right. basically the way that I, I understood it and the way I was able to translate it into powerlifting, that is my answer to Rokoshansky. You know, he's gone now, but that's what that fifth set macro cycle is the way that we load and peak that came directly from him but it was uh it was a series of successive trial and error attempts um just with perfecting what you know what was working what wasn't working i've always i wanted to to systemize it i've always had like a, a relationship with mathematics and I love the idea of if this, then this, if this, then this, if mm. this, then this, if mm. this, then this. And, and you'll notice if you're someone who's using the method, <laughs> all those questions are answered. It's yeah. like, if this, then this, if this, then this, if this happens, do this, you know? So, I mean, there's, there's never a point where you're like lost, you know? You may be a little bit, you may have to make some fine tuning decisions, but you're never completely off course. No, you uh -uh. know? Yep. And it, yeah, so that's that was my goal, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm happy with the way it turned out. I'd you say, know. I'd say so. I, I'm happy with the way it turned out. <laughs> so, but man, I'm I'm really glad to hear that you guys love like love it. You know, and you're doing so good with it. That makes me happy. Yeah, yeah. it's and, uh, if if you're a coach out there and you don't have this book and you're looking to help people and actually help people make progress, this should be one of the first ones you go after. I feel like. Um, it's definitely, Man, I'd, I'd, lo I'd love to have you guys out some weekend whenever you can swing it, you know, Alex fly to, and, fly to Missouri and we'll drive and to Pennsylvania, fly to Missouri. Oh yeah. I forget you don't fly. So well, I don't fly, love, you I don't love that you flying, want me to fly but... to Springfield and then we're going to road trip it to Western PA. <laughs> yeah. Only if you're willing to drive the birds too. So we can knock yeah, out absolutely. birds with one stone. No pun intended there. Yeah. But... Where, where, where is bird? Allentown. He's a... Oh, he's in PA. Is he really? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. The yeah, Allentown's not that far. Sounds like a great bought... summer trip. And then I mean, we could even go visit Depp if we wanted to. It's a few hours from me, honestly. But, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, Where's I know that? Allentown well. You know, I'm from Philly, so it's only like, it's like an hour from Philly, if that. Okay. Yeah, man, I don't know. I would say that book was as influential on coaching for me as anything else I've read. Cause like I still go back and oh, still man. use a lot of the same shit, whether it's the MSMs or like, I don't necessarily use the fifth set protocol, but I stole that Perlipin idea and used the sub maximal weight in those weight ranges and figured out ways to make it to where like I'm big on minimum effective dose. So whenever I enlisted people yeah. to do AMRAPs, they fucking hurt themselves usually. So I just went, all right, well, I'm going to take the AMRAP out and give you guys the mm. minimum amount that I was able to get effectiveness out of and just kind of give them yeah. that. You can honestly cap AMRAPs at five no matter what, and yep. it still works great. That's what I yep. do for anyone that has limited recoverability or if someone's in a calorie deficit, like if someone died and you change weight classes, what have you, we always cap those AMRAPs because that's where things can go haywire, especially when you're working with people that are 
lower in training age. They don't have a lot of experience. They don't know what they're doing. When they start to fail, they fail wildly and quickly. You know what I mean? Quickly. Well, when I got jujitsu athletes <laughs> I use it with, and they're fucking crazy, right? They just want to go ham because that's, I mean. that's all they know how yeah. to do is go ham. And they're like, yeah, I got to rep 17. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, you yeah. probably could have stopped at 10. Yeah, I want to see a video of that because the last five were like garbage. You know what I mean? That's right, why yeah. you have to communicate to these people, especially people like that, especially people that are hard asses. Am grap. Yeah. As many good <laughs> reps as that. possible. Yeah, that's I love good. That explanation soon, of it. As soon as something deviates, as soon as bar path deviates, as soon as you lose a shoulders in a squat, as soon as you start to lose a shoulder and bench and you have to reset, cut it. It's done. That's it. That's enough. Because you trained it to to Te- to technique failure. failure. Yep. Right. Technical failure. That's what we look for. I don't, not absolute failure. Like, this isn't, you know, we're not Dorian Yates. You don't not have Bulgarians. to have somebody like, yeah, exactly. You don't have to have somebody like forcing you through to finish the rep. Like, no, man, if you can't complete the rep correctly, that's it. It's done. You're done. Rack it. And that's good. If it's less than you could, oh, you know, you could do more. Good. Do more next time. You'll be able to. Yeah. PR. There you, you go. I mean, <laughs> no big deal. Well, yeah, that's the other thing too, right? If you could do more, that means there'll be more there when you're peaked too. So we'll just go ahead yeah. and leave it for then. Yes, that's what I always say. Yeah, well, the, I'd always rather I'd always rather leave something in the tank. The adaptation part you're talking about too, like if if in nine days if you there hasn't been an adaptation, what's always funny is like you'll see someone do a bench AMRAP and they'll get like you know five with whatever weight, and then you add the five pounds to it, and they usually end up doing probably a more like one to two more reps usually actually within that bench yeah, set that they do on the AMRAP. So it's like, oh, well, so yeah. you did have it. You just needed, you know, it's just a skill yeah. set for you at this point. Anyway, so yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. To see. Did you lose him? Hold on. Let me plug in my computer before you lose me. Oh, oh no. We're losing everyone. Is he back? Hey, guys. I don't know what happened here. Uh oh. Well, I see a lovely. There, there he is. Okay, good. Technology's yeah. great till it's not. Yeah, no, that's right. I don't know what happened there, guys. You know what happened? No I think somebody tried. Somebody tried to call, and I didn't have it on. Uh... Oopsies. Yeah, I didn't have it on. Do not disturb. So that's my bad. Sorry okay. about that. Man. You're good. Yeah. Where where are we? I don't even remember. <laughs> Just talking about the the training effects and how effective the AMRAPs can be when you understand that technique failure is the failure you're looking for, not absolute uh, failure. Yes. And as far as the adaptations that you're looking for, like you were saying, what's the minimum that you can do? Like you don't even really need to do the AMRAP. That's the right. truth. Yeah. <laughs> is yeah that you'll, meet, you'll, you'll meet prolep and before you get into that range, it's beyond the prescribed reps in most cases. Uh, now there is one aspect of it that's hugely beneficial to the MRAP and that is the, the the hypertrophic adaptations. So like hypertrophy, it seems like, right? It looks like now what's bearing out in the literature is that the most important thing, the most important consideration is proximity to failure. Yeah. Right. And that could be like so for to get that hypertrophic adaptation, you could be anywhere from like six reps to 30 reps, right? As long as you're within a couple reps of failure. Right. Right. So regardless, so that's like a sliding scale. And obviously it would be more specific to strength, right? Which would be that myofibrillar hypertrophy, the stuff we really want, you know, as strength coaches, right? If you're closer to the six side than the 30. So bottom line, if they're, if they're, 
anywhere near failing at six reps, cut it there, five, six, something like that. Yeah, that's usually where you it know. hits. Yep. Yeah, that's usually if you're at if your percentages are set up correctly, like there's not many people that are going to be smoking way beyond six reps of eighty percent after doing all that work. Right. So. Yeah, you, you watch someone hit a 15, and you're like, okay, I think we need to take a look at what your actual top set is here, my yeah, guy. Yeah, de- de- yeah, especially, oh, depending on the protocol, but yeah, especially yeah. with that 80% protocol, if you got people getting 10 plus, <laughs> like, mm, eh, it, okay. might be, it might be time to reassess the training max. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, so. Yeah, the minimum effective dose approach is something a lot of people should probably learn to adopt because... Everyone always thinks more is better. And I'm like, no, better is better, not more. Mm, minimal effective dose with everything, not just in training. But yeah. yeah, no, for but, sure. Yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, like, what is the minimum effect? Honestly, like, my training is a little different nowadays. Like, I do, uh, I still, obviously, I still squat heavy. I still press heavy. But, like, I also do hypertrophy work separately. I do two sessions that are really just hypertrophy. And they're sets to failure, you know, to... You know, and I don't go like beyond failure, but it's very intense. And uh, really, I'm at like where I do like one set for a few different exercises for like uh, two different types of rowing where I'll do like one set to failure, which I mean, heavy, you know, heavy, like I'm like around five plates on hammer strength machines and stuff for that, you know, and also like pull ups. I'll do pull ups to failure. Um, it's kind of like a Dorian whole... approach, right? You're just getting all that density in one set. Yeah, I just don't go beyond where he was going, like beyond failure and having like four reps and so forth. But I'd rather, yeah, that's the idea. It's like, well, could I do another set to failure? Yeah, of course. And I, would it give me more adaptation? I think it would. But it's it's like you got to weigh that out. Like, what is it? Is it worth it for right. what that's going to interfere with my ability to recover from squatting, which I love to do? Right. You know what I mean? Is that going to interfere with my ability to recover from these other things? Am I you know, I'm getting older too. You know what I mean? Like I want to be able to live my life and not be constantly crippled and crawling around. You know what I mean? It's not like when I was in my twenties or even in my thirties, you know what I mean? (laughs) I like being able to be strong, but like, what do I got to do to be strong? What do I got to do to be jacked? Like I I wanted that minimum effective dose because I got to save the rest for, you know, like I have a daughter, I got a wife, I have a life to live. You know, longevity uh, is kind of important now, right? Yeah, yeah, it's important. It's important, yep. you know, to be able to function and live life, and, and you know, have that be not a not a miserable experience. Trying to you know? make you more resilient and live longer. That's what I tell mm, people. Man, that is one thing I see in the powerlifting culture that drives me absolutely nuts is that they think they have to be hurt and that it has to be painful and all these things. Yeah. And I'm like. I'm at the meet and people are like, oh, this hurts and this. Doesn't. And I'm like, guys, we're supposed to feel fucking good today. Like, it's supposed yeah. to be fun. We're supposed to be performing well. Like, maybe a little sore the next day, but like at the meet, you should be in tip top shape. Yeah, that's the best you're going to feel. Yeah, <laughs> you ideally. You know I mean? It should be. Yeah, it should be. Yeah, you shouldn't be banged up at the meet. If you banged up going into the meet, you messed up, man. You know? Yeah. Uh, I always say that people I've said that for years and you know, people will actually argue with me about it. Like, Oh, it's okay. It's normal. Like a week out to be beat up. Like, no, that's not good. That's not good. Like we do six, six days out. We do the speed session. You should be, it should be flying. You should be like, you should be like chomping at the bit at that exactly. point. Ready, yes. ready to go in. Now the, the meso, the microcycle prior to that, the 80%, you're doing like three lifts at 80% and you probably feel like you're going to die the whole time, you know, because that's that transmutation. That's the end of that transmutation where it's actually becoming like, you're like, Oh, 
you know, especially if for people that run the sequence system with the bands, the way that goes with the MSM with the bands, oh, that is just, I mean, it's just, <laughs> br- it's, it's, br- it's brutality. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean? But when you get done it, you feel so much like you, like you feel like a new person by the, that, by the end of that, that last six days, me going into the meet, I'm like, you know, you should feel like a young lion at that point. Oh, like, there's dude, no- I get so fucking antsy because like I've stretched the measure yeah. my micro cycles into twelve days, so I'll take two days yeah. in between every lift. And yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. by the time that I get there, holy fucking shit! People are like, "What's wrong with you?" I'm like, "I'm so fucking ready to pick up something heavy right now." Like yeah. it drives me fucking up a wall. Man, that's great to hear. I love that's that's why I do this, dude. I love to hear about people being able to go and give a good performance and like be happy with the work they put into it and have it, see it come together. Because there's nothing worse than investing in something in a sport like powerlifting where you train for six months and you get literally two minutes on the platform total. That's the whole meet added up. It's about two minutes, assuming you're not messing around when you get on the platform. You know, like there's no other sport like that. There's nothing else that like maybe Olympic weightlifting. But there's nothing else really aside from those two things that you're going to train that long. How many hours? You know what I mean? It's insane. Think about how many hours, right? Over the course of six months, how much effort you're putting into it. And it's all for that two-minute stretch, three-minute stretch of being on the platform. And if you blow it, it's just devastating. Do you know what I mean? But if you can actually put things to put it together and make it, you know, you're like, ah, and ha- have a good performance. Oh, I went nine for nine. Like, that's, I love hearing that. That's what I want to hear. I went nine for nine. I still you haven't know? done that re- yet, but it's on the to-do list. I don't even, <laughs> I don't even care what the total is. Still, eight, eight for nine, nine for nine, stuff like that. It depends on how aggressive you're being with the attempts. But nine for nine should be doable if you're doing the protocol. And for me, I'm like, you know, it might not be all PRs or what have you, but as you learn to get closer and closer to that nine for nine, that's the best total you could get that day because that means you didn't miss anything. You know what I mean? I was about two and a half kilos over on all my thirds this last round. So like, I went YOLO <laughs> and I fucking, I would get stuck in the middle grinding out each set and every one. Like I was grinding out the bench so long, I literally had to shake my head and tell him to take it. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's not going anywhere. Like I'm just stuck. You see you won't do that again, too. That's no. the thing with personal experience. You get to know yourself. You're like, you know what? Next time I'm, you know. <laughs> next well, time and this time I did it with a cut, which also left. fucked me, I think, a little bit. And I didn't yeah, realize. Yeah. So I'm it's managing another, those that's waters. Another variable. That's another variable, man. You really got to stay high. It's hard because you can make weight and then, you know, afterwards get back up to the weight you were before you did the cut. But then that next day, if you aren't always feeding, always snacking, always sipping, that's what I always say. Like, if you're not doing that the whole day of the meet, you you can't make – your electrolyte balance is messed up from doing the cut. So you can't maintain the weight. You end up being a little off. And Well, yeah, you know, my recovery that morning was only 80%. So, like, when I was cutting, yeah. I fucking had to take carbs out, and I went down from, like, 90% recovery to 60 from just sleeping. I was like, man, yeah, my body is yeah. so pissed at me right now. Yeah, so, yeah. But I still PR'd everything, so – <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> well, that's good, right? You still PR'd everything, plus you're saying you're missing you're missing thirds. So imagine if yeah. you had been sli- slightly more conservative on the thirds, you would be you would have PR'd even more. You know what yeah. I mean? That's the way that's what I want to see is people that are like, okay, it's not what it could be, but it's the best that it can be. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not what it might be, but it's the best that it can be right now. You know? So like that's the thing. If you're missing a third. I mean, assuming it's not five pounds above the second, which it shouldn't be. <laughs> you know what I mean? You you lost some pounds off the total. So 
from a strategic standpoint, getting the largest total is about getting going nine for nine. You know, that's, you know, that's me looking at it as a game day coach. But, you know, obviously if you have each individual person, there's no wrong reason to, uh, to compete and there's no wrong goal for me, you know? So if that no, I'm just that win. idiot that like, I don't want to know what if I didn't like what, if I get it, I'm like, well, what could I have done? At least I know, like when I go out on my shield, I'm like, well, I couldn't have done that. So <laughs> yeah, I'll believe me, you know, and, and you do, you do carry those with you. You know what I mean? You do carry those with you. The things that, what if I didn't, what could I have gotten? I mean, I never got 550 in a meet, which is despicable for me for a raw bench that I never got that because I got it in training before, you know, and, uh, but like, there's been, you know, it wasn't the right call at that point. Like I got 530 and, you know, I'm like, okay, I got to try and, you know, and I actually dropped 550 on myself one time in a meet too. So that was, is that when you had the injury? Was that what happened? Was it in the meet or that was, was that in was training? That was separate. When I when I broke my spine, that was another. So twice in my career, I've dropped over 500 pounds on myself. That benching. Once was 550, and it was just, it was, if honestly, if it was 560, I probably wouldn't have dropped it. It was just so much easier than I expected it to be. I couldn't believe it. And like, it was like, it flew off and my elbows like got out from under the bar and it dumped at lockout. The other one was I had like 103 fever. And uh, I don't know what I was thinking doing the meet. I should never have done it. And that's when I dumped it on myself right as I was getting ready to put it into the rack with 525. And that literally bounced on me and broke my spine uh, in a couple places. So, yeah, that was no good either. But I did come back and bench more than that afterwards. So And, and I've obviously recovered my spine and everything completely. But, yeah, yeah, there are those numbers that you never do them. And it's like it does haunt you to some degree mm-hmm. you know at this point it's like eh, you know it makes me feel better about myself when i see the 80 videos on instagram about people telling you that if you can bench 300 pounds you're in like the fucking top two zero 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 seven percent <laughs> in the world and i'm like for real like i must have seen like twenty thousand people bench 300 pounds like it doesn't seem, you know what i mean Right, and if you bench if you bench over five hundred pounds, there's only like eight hundred people in history. And I'm like, I don't think that's true. I'm like, I know that's not true. You yeah, know I mean? yeah. Like it's, it feels good, but you know, it's not true. <laughs> but anyway, that's something Greg and I have been going back and forth about. We send each other those videos every time one comes up. The one where it says like, you know, how special you are with each range of bench presses. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, yeah, dude. You know what? They make me feel good, okay? Because I'm not there. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Leave me in that percentage. I want to be there. (laughs) That's why I think. I think that's what they're aimed at people that are still coming up and trying to get a good bench. You know, like, oh, I'm actually doing pretty good. And like, far be it for me to to piss on someone else's success. I want people to do good and be happy. No, I think you can do it. You've earned the right. Like, it's cool. It's definitely weird to me to see people going like trying to pretend that like less than 1% of people can bench 225 and I'm like are we like including 90 year olds like people in like all the people on the planet or people that do powerlifting because <laughs> like people that do powerlifting there's way more that have done than 800 pounds that have done than 800 people have done 500 pounds right I mean, I've I, I can't even imagine how many there are. It's a lot. I mean, I could tell you, I think there was at one point there was 
there was like 500 people that did 600 pounds, I think. So, yeah, I mean, it's not, we have people doing over 700 pounds. We're all multiple, you know what I mean? Creeping on 800 pounds. So like, you know, I'm just saying in, in reality, like, yeah, I've benched in the mid fives, but that's not even as far as I'm concerned, that's not like a crazy number. That's not like, I mean, if you're compared, I guess you have to, what is the, we're talking about elite power lifters here, you know? So if you're talking about, again, if we're including everyone in the world, like my grandma is included in the total, then yeah, <laughs> percentage wise, you know, everybody in the gym is kicking butt. But yeah, those things are funny to me. I don't yeah. know. It's like a running. And I've seen like at least six of the same video where they'll have some guy and he's like pointing. He just points at it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Like, yeah. I did. I saw one. I, I'm not even kidding you at all. There's a dude and you know how they have those microphones, like the square box ones and people hold them and talk into them. This dude had it on the end of a spatula and he's like talking <laughs> into it on the end. Of the... I'm like, is that a spatula? What what is happening? Social media is a weird space. Uh, it's weird. It's getting weirder and weirder. <laughs> yeah, that's what are you gonna do? No, nothing. What are you gonna do? I'm gonna hide Just make in my fun gym. of it, hopefully. Hide in my gym and keep lifting weights. That's what I'm gonna keep doing. I yeah, use right. it less and less, dude. I like I'm like obligated to go on social media now. It's not like before I used to be on constantly. I'm like it's like poison, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's no joke. It's definitely, uh, well, it's an echo chamber, and hopefully you pick the good things to echo from, but most people don't because they get sucked into the negativity. They do. They do. You're right. Well, I mean, that's that's what upregulate. That's what the algorithm does. It pulls you into negative disputes. Things sure. that are pointless. Contentious. <laughs> yeah. Things that are going to cause conflict and interaction, you know? Yep. Sure. Yeah. Alex, do you have anything else you'd like to ask our wonderful guest? I don't. That was awesome. I appreciate you coming on, man, and making time for us. It was great. Man, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I wasn't more prepared, but, yeah, it was great to talk to you. That's so. that, that, I'll take Thanks. the blame on that one. Just I fucked up Alex. and could have definitely given you a better heads up. So yep, all him. That's all good, I will, I will Thanks, take the guys. ball on that one. We'll have you back again for sure. Hopefully you'll have another Anybody? kid or maybe we'll have done Any? the cert by then. Yeah. I am, yeah, I am going to, I'm working on another kid, so God willing, we'll have another one by then, but anybody that's listening, uh, be sure to swing by Black and check out, uh, we have a number of programming products, and uh, like I said, the CERT course and so forth, and we also sell supplements now, so we have NMN, and uh, we yeah, actually have the, we have the most potent CBD product on the market per milligram, so the most, mil, the, per milliliter, so the most milligrams per milliliter, it's a CBD isolate. We have all third-party testing with like QR codes on the bottom, so you can check out what each batch uh, came back as in terms of the numbers. But it's also somewhere around twenty-five percent of the price of the closest comparable product per milligram. There you so go. Damn. We're talking like, by far the cheapest and the strongest. So Swedes out here making it easy to get healthy. Everyone, go buy the fifth I'm set trying. coaching manual, and if you're smart like me, you'll buy the hardback edition so that it'll fucking last forever, not the paperback like Nathan did. Well, it was. I just, still have the first. It was a gift. I'm my first copy. I still have my first copy of the hardback, and it, it's that's awesome. Shape, so that's. Awesome. I remember you asked me that last year. You want the paperback or the hard copy? I'm like, dude, I want the hard copy. I love when I have nice yeah, books like yeah. that. It looks way better in the fucking library. Oh, yeah, I remember. I gave it to you right out of the car. Yeah. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. From the man himself. That shit was dope. That's awesome. Yeah, Thank you, sweet. Good, we that's we good. appreciate your time, man. We really do. Uh, 
Oh, you got it, brother. I'm happy to help, man. It was nice talking with you guys. Absolutely. Yes, you guys check, you. go right. check his stuff out. God bless you both, man. And uh, have a good day. See you, man. Thanks, man. You too. Take care.